This week on Invasion, the podcast, is it more tricks or treats as we look at the year of the knockoff with 1988's Child's Play and 1991's Dolly Dearest? We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul Every girl wants to own one of these in all the world, Stedman. <laughs> and to my left is Steve. Hey, you want a burrito? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Hello, everyone. Was, I like that. Like, this, this is the part, middle of the toy shop. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and start making a burrito. burrito. Yeah. In this uh, probably condemned fact. Sorry. Air quotes. Factory. Um, yeah. That'll play into our... Uh... <laughs> conversation conversation later. later yeah i just want to say that all the girls want to own uh, a doll of me i not that's <laughs> creepier if it's whatever so yeah uh so the past four weeks we've been doing um steve's like video rental house of horrors type of thing yeah and it's been a lot of fun um and so this is the last wednesday of the month which actually falls on halloween um, and we had not done a year of the knockoff yet. So I, maybe you could argue some of the movies we were talking about. Not really. No, they were all kind of their own thing. Um, and so we decided to save the year of the knockoff for the last one because we really wanted to get into some, like, you know, some great discussions about horror. And we picked, we picked a really good horror film to talk about. Uh, to, to kind of anchor this with Child's Play. Oh, I thought you meant Dolly Dearest. And then, and then, and then Dolly Dearest. Yeah. So uh, that's what's going to be. So um, we're we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, no news. Nothing happened at all in the week that we've been, you know, gone. Not yeah. really. That's not true. But Steve had has had an adventure. So I don't know if I'd say it's an adventure, but usually we talk about our weekend. But like it's been an entire week of things. Um, the great thing about October is is that there's always a bunch to do, mm-hmm. and I want to fit as much possible in as I possibly can during that month. Um, and so I've kind of been going all month long, but this last week has been a lot. So after we recorded Wednesday, Thursday, we went to Mystery Science Theater 3000 Live. Well, you did. I, I, I yes. did not go. I was not cool enough to go. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing um getting to see joel riff uh in person in the jumpsuit was awesome um it was at the agora which was cool about that was is uh uh the first time they were here last year they did playhouse square yeah the state yeah it was this like the state theater which is fancy fancy place to have a a mystery science theater (laughs) show well it's fancy but also like it's um regular it's it's the the seating is squeezed in like yes, it's, it's a it tough sit in those chairs. Uh, the Agora was general admission. We got there um, fairly early. We just both got out of work and headed straight to my wife and I, I should say headed to the um, to the Agora and got in line and we were able to get like front row seats from 
there was a point where it was like just for the people who paid for like VIP seating, okay. but we were like right behind them. Nice. So that was that was the best part about it. It being general admission, and the seats were all like uh, folding chairs, oh, so you could move them a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got you got to you got to get a little bit of space there for the caboose. You know, it's like it's <laughs> be honest. Yeah, I'm gonna say because I'm gonna guess the most average. The average size of a misty size theater, three thousand persons, probably probably not bird thin. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not tiny either. So I am um, a satellite of love. But, so, yeah. but the other thing was is the movie that we watched was uh, Deathstalker Two, mm. uh, directed by Jim Wynorski. Do you know that name? No. He'd be the director of a film called Chopping Mall. Oh, okay, yes, and, uh, I am familiar with his work. Then. <laughs> he, uh, one of the stars of Chopping Mall, was the star of Deathstalker. Oh, too. see, so. is Deathstalker an unofficial sequel to Chopping Mall? No, oh. but uh, there are four Deathstalkers, and I believe none of them are related. They're all <laughs> like their own separate things. It's it's like um, on Facebook where you're trying to find a person. It's like that's their name, but I don't think that's them. That's a different Deathstalker. I think. Oh, does this? Does this one have kids? Oh, everyone has kids. It's not the right desk doctor. <laughs> well, the best part was is uh like one of the segments that they did was uh like an improv with the audience where Crom uh, where uh, Crow and Servo took uh, questions from the audience, and they kept getting questions from like little kids, mm-hmm. and like one was like, "What do the robots drink?" And like Servo paused for a second, and he's like. How hard of a day is it, Ben? <laughs> He's like, no, I drink water. Of course, that's 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 the answer. That's but funny. Uh, yeah, it was an amazing thing. And I know I said like around uh, or about Halloween. It's like if they re-release it in theaters every year, I will go each time. If Mystery Science Theater decides to do a tour every year and come to Cleveland, I'll go every year. I I, I would say I would too, but I just missed this one, so I guess I'm a hypocrite. But (laughs) to be fair, I was kind of gassed out after last week. So understandable after recording with you like two plus hours of me, um, you know, you did put on your own like show. Yeah, I was grouchy about Dream Warriors. I guess I don't know. So I don't know. I was surly. You were um, grouchy. I, I feel like I was sleep deprived. I feel like that was the right way to talk about that film. I just kind of like just kind of hid. I just kind of went into seclusion for the weekend, you know. So that's fair. Um, yeah, I just kind of needed a moment to recharge, and so then of course I go out. Um, the big so uh, the big thing that video game companies are starting to do now is that most media releases on Tuesdays. Um, so games have some of the bigger AAA titles have been coming out on Friday, mm-hmm. which you know pisses me off because I like it's Tuesday. I'm like, why is it not Friday? You know, like right. so I had to wait all week. Uh, so Friday, I'm at, at work. Uh, Red Dead Redemption Two finally came out, which was the the reason why I did last year's the year of the Western because it was supposed to come out last year, oh. and now it's now it's out almost a year later. So. Good on them. I watched 30 some westerns in the meantime. So congratulations, <laughs> Rockstar. And the game came out, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy it. I am not going to buy this game. I just got Spider-Man for my birthday. That's a long game. It looks awesome. I am not buying Red Dead Redemption 2. So I was at Best Buy buying Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> and and a, um, a four terabyte uh, portable uh, uh, um, hard drive. Not hard drive. Yeah, hard drive to, to or storage to plug into the PlayStation because it's like almost 100 uh, gig download just or installation for that game. Wow. So... I now own Red Dead Redemption 2. I played it for about an hour. It's pretty. And then I went back to playing Overwatch. Because not because Red Dead's bad. It's just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just keep going back to the same game I play over and over and over again. Yeah. Maybe that's why they call it Overwatch. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of money just to make <laughs> sure I have a game I didn't play this weekend that much. Well, yeah, it was like funny. Because like after Thursday, Mystery Science Theater, we did... Uh 
Friday was a friend of my wife's uh, son's birthday, and we went out to Quaker Steak, and then we went to uh, Dave and Buster's. Okay. Um, so like that was my Friday night. Saturday. Did you get an antenna full of onion rings? I did not, no. but I did play the Deal or No Deal um, video game that they have at Dave and Buster's, where you you know play for tickets. Okay. All right, and the highest case that you could get was five hundred. I picked the case. Nice. I got 500 coupons so you or got tickets like, or whatever. you got like 50 erasers. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Uh, but uh, Saturday, uh, I went through the hell that was replacing the headlight of my car. <laughs> Apparently, uh, they decided that, uh, you know what we should do? If you want to change your headlight out, we should make you take the grill off of your car. Like, it, it seems like there's got to be a better way to have to change your headlight than to go yeah. through... Like I had to take the headlight out, I had or the, the grill off. I had to then unbolt the entire... Um, like sitting for the the actual headlamp and mm-hmm. then pull out the bulb and like it was just a whole ordeal and it was raining all day but I knew it was the only time that I was going to have a chance to do it. So uh then later that night we went a, to a Halloween party that one of my wife's friends was throwing. Sunday myself and Ryan were at the um the Winchester Winchester yeah. for uh the Halloween flea uh an art fair and that was great. Um uh, actually, Winchester's got really good food. I don't know. I've never been there before, but I got a burger and fries while we were hanging out nice. and a couple of beers. And uh, it was A, very reasonable, and B, very good. Hmm. So um, I don't know that I'll go back there anytime soon since I don't live in Lakewood. But like, if I have to go to the Winchester again, I would eat there. So that's really not really good endorsement. <laughs> I would eat there if I had to. Like, But I'm just saying good I food. I mean, if I was nearby and the parking was available... <laughs> But yeah, uh, and very enjoyable, good show. Um, had a really fun time. I dressed as Superhost again. Um, the people, I mean, I, some people knew who I was. A lot of like the younger people didn't, obviously. Well, um, what one of my coworkers came up to me and was like, "I didn't know what that was either." <laughs> like, as you were talking about it, I was like, "Yeah," and they grew up in Cleveland. I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know." I felt bad. I did get somebody honking at me as I was walking down the street. So, oh, I was nice. Like, yeah. Maybe, yeah. There you go. Uh, it took me to age 44 to get somebody to notice me as I walked down the street. Um, it's that one person that has the weird superhost <laughs> fetish. Yes. They're like, today's the day. Uh, and then uh, on Monday, I went to the 3D screening of Dawn of the Dead at the Capitol. Um, and what I'll say about it is, is that the 3D is completely unnecessary. <laughs> but getting to see the film on the big screen like i noticed so many things that i've never seen in that movie before like th- were things popping out at you, yeah. you know, like, you're like it's not necessary but man just details in the makeups and um some character moments and things that were going on in the background that i've just never noticed i will also say that you know we've always been you know on the show advocates for the theater experience even though it can be bad you know <laughs> yeah. um but Seeing it in a theater with a crowd of people was awesome, but also the fact that I I was locked into the film. Like I would say, the last few times I watched it, it's always been on, but it's always like while I'm doing something else. Mm-hmm. So like I had to sit and watch it this time. You know, like I think that's the best thing about the theater is is that it's where you go to experience the film. And there should be nothing else grabbing your attention. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of realized, I was like, God, you know, the last few times that I've watched this, I'm like, I don't think I've really watched it. I've thrown the commentary on or I've sat and, you know, put it on while I'm working on something else or cleaning the house. But, yeah, I I think that that was one of the, the biggest things that I came away with was, is like, you know, I really do need to 
give more time to these things when I'm at home, you know, instead of just putting them on in the background or whatever, because mm-hmm. they become sort of, I don't want to say like background music, but like it's easier for me to work to something in the background if I've seen it before. Like well, I don't no, put on fair. a new movie yeah, and no. I'm like, yeah. oh, I've got to draw a page of comic book artwork, so I'll just sit here and watch a movie at the same time. I can't really do that, but mm-hmm. I like listening to commentaries and I like just the sound of a movie that I know really well in the background. But That makes sense. Yeah, it was great seeing it on the big screen and just having that experience. I'm so glad I got to see it. Um, and I, I would love to see Night, which was also this past week, but it was the same day as um, Mystery Science Theater 3000. They played Night of the Living Dead in the theaters. Um, and I would love to see Day of the Dead. So if I ever get a chance to see either of those, I'd be extremely happy with those yeah i saw it night living dead as part of the 12 hours terror like two years ago it was mm-hmm. one of the films and i like i do like that movie don't get me wrong it's just that i'm glad it was one of the earlier ones because if it was a little later in the run i would have been out like a light because okay. that movie <laughs> it's good but it's not exactly the most compelling at times you it's know? slow like, yeah. in, in spots yeah i will say too that um I don't know how you guys do it in the 12 hours of terror those are not the most comfortable seats like i was sitting there after two hours and i was like hmm my back's a little like yeah. I mean, the one time I did it, like they let they let you get up in between screenings, go you know, kind of mill around for a second, <laughs> and you can like get up any time you want home. to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can get up anytime you want and go to the lobby, or, or I know they have like their coward's corner type stuff like upstairs. So if you really were, you know, feeling it, you could get up and walk around for a second, and that's fine. Like I like. I, the only thing that really just it was just the whole staying awake part. The one time I did do that, uh, because um, the what the last film was uh, American Werewolf in London, and that's a great film. But it's like you get real loopy, like at yeah. that point. And that movie is not. Um, it, it already messes with your perception on purpose. So it's like that's a that's a weird one to go out on. You know, yeah. like, like, you're like, oh, there's Nazi werewolves just breaking into a house. Like, is this real? Is this not real? What's going on? You know, there's a naked man with balloons. I what, what is up with this? Yeah, so. a naked American stole my balloon. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad that you had. Uh, it sounds like you had a fun week. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it was good. It was it was a uh, good cramming it all in and tomorrow i took the day off of work so i'm going to just sit around and i think about seeing halloween again in the theater um but uh i'm planning on just enjoying the holiday handing out candy and uh watching some old favorites on tv nice good call i i will be uh i will be at work <laughs> like, so, um but I'll, I'll you know whatever anyway so yeah um my week like i said my weekend was me buying a game that i played for an hour um and spent a lot of money making sure i could play that game for an hour and then I um, I watched uh, Child's Play. I watched a movie for the blog. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, and then I watched Dolly Dearest like last night. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of dolls happening over yeah. the weekend, you know. So uh, yeah, let's just uh, we'll just get to that. Um, not really. This is a weird show because it's the year of the knockoff. So I don't I don't know. We'll just we'll do this. And now for our feature presentation. It wasn't especially large, but it felt hard, extremely hard. That should be just the year the knockoff noise. <laughs> it is. Time, right? <laughs> the official one. So, uh, yeah, uh, our two films we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to start off talking about uh, Child's Play, 1988, um, directed by Tom Holland. Uh, and I know you're going to probably talk a little bit about uh, him and uh, the writer Don Mancini. Yeah, um, I can't and- believe he's Spider-Man. 
Yeah, right. Like, you know what? Now that you said that, I wondered why it kept sticking in my head, and that's exactly why it stuck in my head. Well, when they announced Tom Holland as Spider-Man, I was like, he's like 70 years old. I'm like, why? Why is he Spider-Man? And then I'm like, oh, there's another actor named Tom Holland. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he, um, let's see here. Uh, is he an actor as well? He is an actor as well. Yeah. Okay. So uh, director, uh, he did Child's Play. Um, Two Fisted Tales. I remember that was the TV movie that was kind of an anthology. Um, I believe he wrote Psycho Two. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see that and see about that in a second. Uh, he did uh, some Tales from the Crypt episodes. He directed Thinner, mm-hmm. um, which, like, I like that movie. It's not a perfect movie, but I like Thinner. Um, and then he also did something called Rock Paper Dead that's coming out next year. All right, whatever that is. That sound. I hope that's really Rock Paper Scissors, but you choose wrong and then you die. I hope that's really what that movie is. Um, and so you said you, he wrote uh, Psycho 2. You're right. He did do that. Oh, uh, we're leaving out Fright Night. Yeah, Fright Night. And um, he got some credit for Fright Night 2 because of the characters. And he also wrote the Langoliers miniseries for TV, uh, the Stephen King adaptation that uh, is not great, but it has some great moments in it. You know, <laughs> uh, has Bronson Pinchot just losing his mind in it. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, like, I'm, I'm bringing up weird things that this guy has done, but he's, you know, he's, He's established, like so, like not just a one-off, right? Although I feel like now I need to find a way every episode to to fit Bronson Pinchot somehow into the conversation. <laughs> yes. um, and so I know we'll talk about a little bit more, more uh, Don Mancini in a moment. Your cast is you got Catherine Hicks yes. uh, as the mom, uh, Chris Sarandon, who was also in Fright Night. Yes, uh, as, as I the, keep agreeing with you. Yeah. Yes, yes, correct. I'm looking at IMDb, so I have all the answers, and Steve's verifying it. I like it. <laughs> uh, he's the cop in this. Uh, Alex Vincent is the kid. Andy, uh, Brad Dourif. Um, spoiler alert: yeah, He's uh, a Chucky. bad guy, and he's Chucky. Um, and then was there anybody else in here that's worthy of mentioning? Yeah, not really. <laughs> like, it's just, there's a couple. Well, Dinah Manoff, I yeah, believe, she's is the, the friend. She's the friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you pulled that one off the top of your head. I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, I, I couldn't. Yeah, the name well, right I remember me, her yeah. from. I think it was Empty Nest or were one of those like TV oh, shows. Yeah, and, yeah. So like yeah, that that's was right. Yeah, she was. You're right. Jeez, that's a that's a crazy pull. All right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. She my was seven, ability no, to have empty, trivial knowledge at my fingertips. Empty is, Nest lasted seven seasons. Jesus, I thought that, yeah. I knew that was one. I knew that existed because of the Golden Girls. <laughs> um, but you know, I knew it existed at one point. I just didn't know for how long. Well, there, there's a lot of those like weird like B and C level like sitcoms that were on. That everyone remembers, but yeah. like you don't remember how long they were on. Like, like everybody re- remembers Mr. Belvedere, but that wasn't exactly the ratings winner at its time, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> I feel um, like Mr. Belvedere got like four or five seasons. Though, it did, right? but I'm just yeah. saying. But it was never the number one at its time slot, like like versus all the other network shows. Yeah. And I feel like Empty Nest was never one of those ones that was a breakout <laughs> hit. I feel, it was like that nice little comfortable bit after the Golden Girls. So, because yeah. some mov- some movies, some TV shows existed by the strength of its lead in right like yeah. well and, to be fair though richard mulligan was yeah was no i liked the, him yeah you know I, this was I, we were we're going way off yeah. uh <laughs> well wings would have not succeeded without cheers right i mean right. that was also I mean, technically a spinoff but anyway and seinfeld not... got that great episode about uh the other comic banya uh sucking off of his lead mm-hmm. so yeah so this is our, this is our conversation tonight about 80 sitcoms uh <laughs> no so child's play um a little bit i guess we should just kind of just get into uh we can talk about the movie improper but the idea of what the the whole thing is that uh 
Um, Charles Lee Ray is on the run from uh, Chris Sarandon's character. This guy, he's a serial killer. Is he a serial killer? He, he killed a lot of people. He, he's a killer, yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. more of a thief, I yeah. think. In in the you know, um, and as he's running away from the cops, he gets shot, and he ends up ducking into a toy store. And knowing that he's about to die, he uh, calls upon this greater power and lets his essence enter into a Chucky doll. Sorry, a good guy's doll. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, the other story is of the, of the mother. Um, who is you know a single mother trying to just do right you know keep everything together Karen and her son um, Alex loves the good guys yeah. has watching the cartoons um, has the cereal I think he's like at the yeah. beginning um, there's a cake mix that you see later like the good guys are all over the place and he really yeah. wants a good guy because there's a good guy that could talk he sees it on TV he wants that and there's also a really creepy good guy uh, like mascot that's on the TV that's creepy <laughs> um, which I would love to see somebody cosplay that at some event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, it's his birthday, and uh, you know, Karen tries to buy him like the the tool set. Which I just want to mention the tool set. Some of the pictures of the tool set. There's a gun involved on that tool set. Like there's a hammer, <laughs> a saw, and like some other. But then there's a gun. Like is that what kind of? I guess that's the only tool you need. I think you know? this takes place in Texas. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's the Texas toolkit. Uh, so. Um, so he's not happy about that. He really wants a good guy's doll. So she's working this counter at this like, you know, department store. And her friend was like, Hey, there's a homeless dude out there selling a good guy's doll. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'll go buy it from the homeless guy. And, you know, she buys it from him and she gives it to, to Andy and, and Andy's excited. And then this good guy calls himself Chucky and you know, they, they bond. Yes. Right. So, and then you find out that, Hey, maybe it's the doll that the killer threw his soul into. And then, then the movie kind of goes from there you know right. like so i know that's the basic kind of everyone knows child's play but the setup i think people honestly forget that the setup is him using like voodoo or was it voodoo it yeah, voodoo. yeah because was, voodoo comes into play later in the yeah movie. using that to actually kind of start the whole I mean, thing off or black magic black i magic, guess is yeah. a better way of putting it but um, yeah so yeah uh but before this though the whole idea of like the possessed doll um, like in creepy children, I feel like those kind of go hand in hand. This is but, not. But Andy's yep. not creepy though. He's not creepy. No. Um, we'll get to the second movie. There's some we'll really talk about. wonderful innocence with him in this movie that I think makes the movie work. But go yes. on. No, 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 no. Just the idea of anything small and possessed, whether it be a doll, animal, or kid, it's yeah. always creepy. Uh, and there's been plenty of examples of the the creepy toy, you know, and doll. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording. We we're thinking there was there's a Twilight Zone episode that I've not gotten to yet that involves a doll that's creepy. Uh, I know that there's the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror that is basically a riff on Child's Play and that Twilight Zone episode yeah. with the Krusty doll, the clown from hell. Yeah, uh, Jeff Dunham, all his dolls are creepy. You know, like so. <laughs> um, th- this is this is something that. People and then there's the Annabelle movies that just came out recently that are tied to the Conjuring universe. Yeah. Um, so there there is always this inherent fear of the inanimate becoming animate, you know. And so the the this idea is not necessarily original, but it comes down to execution, and it also comes down to the people the people and parts that you have involved with this. So I um I I've I've seen this I mean I've seen this movie a few times, but I don't think I've watched it in like probably ten years. Um. I forgot about a lot of the film, but, but you can't not, not you, you, no matter what you never get, you never separate Brad Dura from 
you never separate Chucky. Like you always remember Chucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about previously in this past month, we've talked about uh, Freddy Krueger and uh, Michael Myers. We didn't get into Jason because we we talk about him all the time. I did play Friday Thirteenth the game this weekend. By the way, got to play a little bit of that. Um, and my friends I played with, just brief aside, I was playing with them. And we we're having a good time, and I was like, guys, how many Friday Thirteenth movies have you seen? They're like none. What? <laughs> Yeah, they were like, so I'm trying to explain to them why the tropes of the game work as well as they do, but it's like trying to explain like, you know, how a sweater is sewn together by just talking about stitching as opposed to showing it to somebody. And it was like, so they understood Jason kills campers, but I'm like, you guys don't understand what this means. Right. And so it was still fun. Like it was still fun. Jason killing everybody. Uh, But yeah, they've never seen a Friday 13th movie. It just seems bizarre to me that like they're playing the game without having seen any of the films. Yeah, and all, all I'll say, again, real, just real quick, we were playing a match, uh, the three of us had died, and so when you die, you end up in like a loser's lounge, and you just kind of watch everybody else still living. There's one guy, his name was Banana Man or something, he was hiding in a closet, like just hiding, because like you can wait out the game yeah. when. And there was one other character that was playing a girl that somehow got everything into the car, like the battery, the gas, and the keys, to, to turn it on to get out, but Jason found her, it was like causing problems for her. And then Jason screwed up and she got out and drove away. And then he found Banana Man and just stabbed him right in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) So perfect. Anyway, so uh, back to Child's Play and Chucky. I I feel like he's one of those iconic like horror faces that you think of. And I don't think you would think of it the same way without Brad Dourif. Because if it's just a creepy possessed doll, I, I think, I think people, people like Chucky, but Chucky wouldn't be Chucky without Brad Dourif. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can make the argument that, uh, you know, Kane Hodder is Jason or um, Nick Castle is a shape. You can absolutely make those um, arguments, but those franchises have made many movies with different actors. Mm -hmm. Um, Child's Play and Nightmare on Elm Street, with, with the exception of the remake, you know, both of those series are based solely on the charisma of the actors playing those characters. Yeah. Or the performances, I should say. Um, and Brad Dourif is so good as Chucky. Um, and I don't want to go into the sequels too much, but in the recent, the most recent film, which I believe was Curse of Chucky, uh, they go in, show you some things that happened with him, and he plays Charles Lee Ray again. Yeah, um, I heard so about that. See, they show like a yeah. flashback, yeah. Which was really cool. Like, a, uh, he hasn't aged all that much. I'm sure there was some makeup on him he, and whatnot. Say, but he's like, not exactly an attractive man well, when he was younger. <laughs> that's fair. Like, I mean, I'm like, it's the, he's if you if you if you don't know what Brad Dourif looks like, you've seen him. Like, he's been in the Lord of the Rings. He's been he's been in a lot of things. You just may not necessarily identify him directly. But he's a very a very unique look about him. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, I I would say that you know ninety percent of Chucky is him. The other ten is the visual. But you know if they were to, and there is a reboot slash remake coming out. But if they were to make just a regular Child's Play without him, I think that it would hurt that film. Like um, I, I, particularly, I would, he's such a big part of that character. Yeah, I would worry that like, and this is you know going off a little far afield that. Either you try to find somebody that's going to try to do an imitation of Brad Dourif, and that might be okay, but um, so that but it may not be the same because I feel like some of the what makes Chucky work is him improving some of it and just kind of rolling with what's going on and like him kind of just like he he really 
so Chucky is a character in this film, <clears throat> excuse me, um, doesn't really doesn't really show up as the fully realized Chucky until about 45 minutes in. Yeah. Like, and so, I mean, that's, I mean, obviously the halfway point, that's what you want. Um, but even then his screen time, even though it feels like it's a lot, it really isn't a lot. And he gives the, the few moments he does have dialogue and just the, you know, when he goes after the mom and he, uh, you know, says some things we're not going to repeat here. Uh, and just, he, there's, there's a savageness and an anger that just kind of comes out, but there's also this dark humor with mm-hmm. some of the stuff he says that, you know, now might be overplayed. And I mean, I haven't seen the later sequels, so I don't know if it's just a joke a minute uh, with some of that. Cause I mean, he's good at what he does. So, you know, maybe give him more. I don't know, but I feel like he was doled out in the right proportions here, but you got enough of it, you know, um, in terms of like his, his humor. Um, and you got enough of the character. Like yeah. you didn't see him as Charles Lee Ray, but for maybe the first couple minutes of the film and that was him on the run, mm-hmm. you know? And then, so after this, that you you had to get the sense of this guy that's now in this doll, and I just yeah, it's it's interesting how much a performer's performance uh, is what you remember, even though it is supposed to be this like possessed doll. Yeah, and I also think it's interesting that we're thirty years in, and you know it. Yes, some of the 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 age shows when it comes to some of the animatronics or whatever but like it's still a very effective like puppeteering performance for chucky i'm surprised like i was honestly taken aback by how much of it still really works yeah and and also because the whole the whole caveat of this is that the longer he stays in this body the more human he becomes Mm -hmm. which that's that's actually kind of a nice conceit like i like in terms of horror movie where you know, you, sometimes the supernatural force like is unstoppable, and the solution's pretty ridiculous. And this one, it's like, you know, there's a ticking clock, and either you got to get your soul out to the one person you revealed that you are human or who you are, which was to Andy, or you're going to be stuck as a small little like you know ginger with a knife, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I, I like that that part of it. But so even though there was that tr- that midpoint where he was still, even though the later sequels they had him more human. Um, the animatronics worked for me because it was a doll. So the, the, so not all of his movements were supposed to be fluid. Yeah. Like it kind of worked, you know, like, and then, um, and there's that bit at the end where he's stuck in the fireplace and they have the grade up and you just see him over the shoulder of the mother and he's just going off and it's so in the background, but it's like, did they just put a small child back there and have him just bag against the grate? Or was that an effect? I don't know, but I, <laughs> but it really, really worked. Uh, yeah, and what's interesting about all of the visuals in the film, too, is, is that um, you can get away with uh, just doing the kind of the same thing that they did in Alien, where it's like you just see him out of the corner of your eye, like you see him running, you know, or you see him oh, yeah. moving in the background, or, you know, all that stuff just adds into it. And um, that scene that you're talking about where he goes nuts on Catherine Hicks. Uh, is still really, really effective because he just, like, the way that they, like, contort his face, too, mm-hmm. it's almost like, uh, it's almost like it's, it's, it is real in the sense of, like, um, you know, all of us have had, you know, dolls and toys and things like that. Like, you get, like, three facial expressions of <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I think the range of motion for the facial expressions and things like that definitely help that along as well. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the film upon rewatch is is uh, 
how vicious some of the kills are because oh, yeah. they're they're not your typical slasher kills in the sense of because once the sequels get going, like they have to become more and more elaborate. But the hammer to the face that her friend takes in the the you know the first kill of the, the film uh, is still really effective. And that fall, man, that fall is impressive. Now I know there's a cut there, but like the way she hits that car, like I buy it that whole whole time. I buy all that. I don't buy that she would like be able be hit so hard that she falls out a window. That's just, <laughs> like I've been watching a lot of movies and TV shows lately where people take dives out windows, and I'm like. I think windows are stronger than that. I just feel like, you know, if they were that fragile, then none of us would have windows where we would live. But it's like she's just out. <laughs> like It's just like a rocket. Out of you that. watched an entire Twilight Zone episode where people <laughs> fell out of a window. <laughs> yeah. Most unusual one, there, camera. Yeah, there was one where, um, you know, just over time, four people fell out of a window there. So, uh, my so feet, don't tell me it can't happen. <laughs> I mean, I have we have a window in this office we're recording in, but it's on the first floor. So If this desk wasn't here, I, there's a good chance I might fall out of this window. <laughs> As we're recording, be like, that's highly I'm like, <laughs> down. And somehow you'd land on top of a car, even though it's only a foot out, like, like a four foot drop. Um, no, I'm just laying on somebody's hood. <laughs> yeah, just, so yeah, that was a good kill. Um, I, I liked also when they noticed that uh, there was footprints in the flower. Yeah. And again, it shows it shows the indentations and it's the good guy shoe print, which Andy has a pair of good guy shoes because he's a kid. That's the other thing I like too is that you, you talk about like him being the sweet, honest little kid that can't make breakfast save his life, but whatever. Um, you, you, he's I, a terrible cook for oh a five year old. It's disgusting. It's just like, it's like the, the, the just the softball sized pat of butter he puts on the burnt toast, and then just like he's just like carrying this whole thing into his mom, and it's just spilled all over the place. It's like, god damn it, kid. It's like I know you don't have a father in your life, but you know. Anyway, so anyway, so I like that Andy is so obsessed with the good guys that like I can relate to that as a kid in the sense of like. Uh, and I also can relate it from being a kid that, you know, you didn't get everything you wanted, but you love something so much so that your parents would try to buy you the thing that's associated with it, but not the thing that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Like he got the toolkit. He wasn't that excited about it. That's probably what I would have gotten for Christmas as opposed <laughs> to the good guy doll. I would have gotten the good guy coloring book or something and be like, here you go. That's a good guy thing. I'd be like, oh, but that's not what I really wanted, right. you know. Or, or I'd get like the happy guy. Like I would not, I get the off brand good guy. Like, you know, happy dude. Like, you know, <laughs> you know. Pretty good Billy, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Um, so I, I like that he was so obsessed, always wearing his good guy stuff, always wearing the shoes. I don't know why uh, um, the mother's friend, the one that goes out the window, why she tried to put the kid in bed with the shoes on. That's weird, too. Well, I believe that they were jammies that had okay. the soles. I hope so, because it's like, you're putting this kid to bed with his full clothes on. That felt, <laughs> felt odd to me. But you see the annotation of the soles of the, sho- of, of the foot pads. And it and it's the good guy thing, and it's like and I, you see again, you see the hammer, you see the saw, you see a gun shape in the sole. I just I, I I know it's a different time, but it's like why why is good guys have guns? I don't understand that. Um, but then the cop sees it and was like, well, maybe he pushed her out the window, <laughs> and it's like they're immediately questioning the kid. Yeah. Um, and I forgot about that part of it. I, I realized. I mean, watching it again, I knew that there was this this moment of hesitation of maybe Andy's the one causing things. The movie does away with that really fast, though. Like it just—it pretty much lets you on the fact that Andy, as much as he has his buddy and as his friend to the end, and is easily influenced by him, you also get the notion that he's kind of trapped by him too. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's the whole thing too of uh, where he's trying to tell his mom what happened, and then he looks at Chucky. He was like, 
yeah, see, they, they didn't believe me. Like you said, like there's so much, there's so much dialogue that, you know, goes on between Chucky and Andy. That's not in the movie. That makes you wonder what screwed up things Chucky told Andy. You know, like, uh, that's an interesting relationship. (laughs) He he does tell like his mom when she asks, you know, like about, uh, his, his friend, uh, her friend, friend, you know, she's like, he said she was a bitch who got what she deserved. And (laughs) she's just like, Andy, who told you that? Or, you know, whatever. But like, it's, and it's the way he says it too is so like innocent and sweet, but like, uh, yeah, at first I, I was kind of. Alex got on my nerves because he's a kid actor. Those are very hit or miss. I mean, I feel like whatever, I don't know what they've done the past 10, 15 years that acting coaches and people that develop talent have gotten because I feel like kid acting's went, like has like the roof has been raised considerably with kid actors. At first, I was kind of annoyed by him, but he's asked to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of emotionally in the movie. He actually answers the call repeatedly in the second half of the movie. Yeah. And I forgot about that. Like I like it's surprising. I would also say, you know, as much as I, I was talking about it being Brad Dourif's performance and the puppeteering, um, you know, and I don't wanna go too far off into just acting stuff, but you know, one of the things that they said about Yoda when the Empire Strikes Back came out is is that so much of that is the way Mark Hamill interacts with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's the same way with him and Chucky. Like a lot of that is built in with the way he interacts with that doll that sells that believability. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, never at one point do I not believe that he's a kid playing with a doll who this, you know, is this doll is telling him awful things. Like I never <laughs> don't buy that. Um, particularly like even when he takes him out into the, um, when they go to kill Eddie Caputo, who is, uh, Chucky's former yeah Charlie Ray's like partner partner yeah, yeah. Um, that, this is the part of the movie I completely forgot about okay by the way. so yeah so like Andy's getting dropped off at school which by the way I don't know about you when you're a kid you got like a birthday present like a really big expensive birthday present were you allowed to take it with you to school the next day no I was not allowed because I would probably break it or get stolen or I'd lose it I don't know that I got like a super big expensive birthday gift like my my birthday gifts were all like socks action figures and uh you know video games and things like that so it was not a lot of things that i could take to school Mm -hmm. usually it was um like a gi joe figure or a star wars figure or he-man or something like that big gifts came at christmas okay in our family I still feel like I wasn't allowed to take that stuff with me because, well, one, you're going to school. Yeah. So you shouldn't have toys. Well, it's like I got Castle Grayskull. I wasn't going to be taking that to school with me. (laughs) You know, amazing. (laughs) You had to set up on your desk and it's like blocking your view of the teacher. That's that had that had um. Did it have the microphone on it or was that Snake? That's Snake Mountain. Snake Mountain. Which I had that one too. Like you fools! Like this will be all meaningless. Like Steve, calm down. I think the only thing that I ever had taken away from me at school was a Mad magazine. Yeah, so. that means well because that was contraband, right? That yeah. was questionable content. Uh, yeah, so I just him taking this doll to school and then then doing the whole fake out of I'm walking in and I'm walking right back out and then he gets on like the subway or the tram system. It's Chicago. It's a subway, right? Yeah. It's even if it's above ground there. Uh, watch it with my wife. She's like, well, who would let like a small kid on there? And I'm like, no one's paying attention because if he walks on with a group of adults, everyone's going to assume he's with them. Yeah. You know, like I just, I never bothered. Like I just didn't, you know, um, if the kid's not causing a problem, no one's going to pay attention to the kid. 
And then they go to the house where uh, Eddie Caputo is. And I completely forgot about like the whole setup with like setting the gas and all this stuff. The explosion of that house is amazing. Yeah. Like <laughs> you like that, like, that house looked like it was condemned. It probably was. And they probably worked out a deal with the city of Chicago and be like, listen, we know this house is going to be destroyed. Can we destroy it? They'd probably be like, sure. You know, and I don't even know if they even had to get a permit. Like, I'm just Chicago be like, oh, another house blew up. That's fine, you know. But that explosion is ridiculous. It's, it's a good explosion. I don't know that it's, you know, them. Like Chicago is just like, yeah, go ahead, blow. Just, but maybe. Maybe. It's like, you know, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the thing that I also really like about that is the way he's carrying the doll, the way that like he's talking to him, like even to the point where he's like, hey, I have to go tinkle. Yeah. Like, it's so believable. Um, yeah, it's like a little kid's like, OK, I'm going to sit you in this rocking chair. <laughs> I have to go pee. And then he comes back and the chair is just moving slightly and the doll's gone. It's like, that's not good. You know, like there was so much of that that happened in this movie, but it made sense because, again, how much budget do you have? Do you want to show the doll doing these things early? And you're right. There's a lot of like the behind the the, the feet moving and just the sounds that worked really really well in this. Um, and the movie we'll talk about later tries doing that to a degree. Yeah. Um, with varying degrees of success, but they did a good job of showing you the threat the entire time, but not showing you the full menace of the character until about the point whenever Catherine Hicks realizes that the the doll never had batteries put inside it, which is still a really that's a good selling moment of like she goes to grab the box, the batteries drop out. She looks at the bottom of the box saying batteries included. And then she goes to discover that there's no batteries in this doll that she's been seeing, like talking to her kid, like as mm-hmm. the doll should, because it was supposed to be voice activated like a Furby. I don't know. Um, and that's a good that's a good reveal. Like, like, oh, shit, this is bad news. And it's like, my son was right. (laughs) Yeah, because everyone was dismissing Andy. And then the moment she figured out what was going on, everyone started dismissing her. I like how the cop's like, that can't be real. And then then Chucky's in the back of the cop car and causes all this havoc. And he's like, that's it. we got to kill that doll. (laughs) All it takes is a near miss with a doll trying to kill you for you to believe anything is possible. Well, what's great, too, is, and I I, I realize I'm skipping to the end, is is that the the other cop comes in and, like... (laughs) He, he tells him what happened, him. and he's like, "Okay, great." And he picks up the head, and he's like, "Look, this thing's dead. Like, there's, there's nothing. This is not a thing." And then you know, Chucky comes out of the wall and yeah. tries to kill him, and you know, the guy's like, "Great, now who's gonna believe me?" Yeah, <laughs> which I, I really like that ending. The only thing that I think is funny about the very, very end of the movie is, is that like, the last shot is Andy closing a door, and it like freeze frames on him. Yeah, and it felt very much like the end of an 80s tv movie like i don't know what it was about it like i know that it's supposed to be like ooh, he's haunted by what just happened or no, you know you're right that's kind of a thing that used to exist and this being 90 um sorry 88 Eight, yeah, yeah that feels that feels in line with that um i do like like i also th- this movie does a thing that uh movies of its time do which i appreciate is that the moment the threat is done the movie's over and that's it. There's no yeah. like 10 minute long, like, you know, epilogue and all this. It's just like, Oh, the, the possessed dolls dead. All right, guys, who wants ice cream? And they just all walk out. Like right. that's it. Like, I feel like, cause, cause there's so many questions that you can't answer realistically as two police officers, like 
can witness that they were shooting at a doll. Like, what kind of paperwork do you have to fill out to be like, yeah, I just charged my firearm tonight. Why? A doll's trying to kill me. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Okay, let me go back to a day and a half ago. Because this all takes place, like, over three days. Like, yeah. it's it, it's very fast. It's like, so they, they kind of just, like, hand wave away and be like, the movie's over now. I'm like, good, because if you have to answer all these questions, it's going to collapse, you know? Yeah, I will say, though, that the actual ending is... One of the stronger, like, original endings for a horror movie where you have multiple, like, the killer isn't really dead. Yeah. You know, because it starts off with him in the fireplace, and then, you know, they discover that uh, he's still alive, and then he gets shot to hell, and then... Uh, it's, like, it's like the Terminator ending. It's like, oh, no, he's all skeleton now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I will say that, you know... When it comes to the actual horror genre, I think it's one of the better endings, or at least the the killer's not really dead scenarios being done very well. Well, they set up earlier that you, you had to you take keep his heart out. That he's gone. You yeah. had to take his heart out. So by him being set on fire was not enough. So that was already the groundwork was laid. Um, and I like the the idea of using like black magic or voodoo. That was um, I felt like I don't know about like. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like that was something that was very much in vogue in the '80s, with a lot of movies kind of going with like these dark arts, like in these like urban settings, like city settings, with like this is what's going on, but then there's this other thing going on. Like, um, when did Candyman come out? It came out in the late '80s, right? Or early no, 90s? that's early '90s. Early '90s. That feels like they had like you know the urban decay, but then there's something worse happening underneath. Yeah. That's not just a straight up like you know a vampire or a werewolf. It was something much more perverse with what happened there. Um, and like even like the Golden Child, that's which is a weird movie. But like, there's all these different things going on that felt like there was this like trend to always kind of like even like the Serpent and the Rainbow and all this other stuff that there was this big thing about like voodoo and like black magic that was like, well, like you this, know, movies the, like Angel Heart, things yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, I just feel like that was and so to incorporate this in that film and it was kind of like um, it was the reason why this movie was kind of set in place but it wasn't the driving force of the film. It's kind of interesting in the sense that like, yeah, you know, cause, cause Chucky went back, I'm sorry, Charles Lee Ray went back to the guy who taught him this and then, you know, used a voodoo doll on him, which was really gruesome and effective. So it's like, it was something that was the cause of his ability to do what he wanted to do, but the movie didn't constantly go in that direction. It was just the means to the end for him to transfer bodies and it wasn't like it didn't keep going that i don't know how to it's a little like it dipped its toes into it and then it yeah. did that but that wasn't the point of the film so I, it gave it a much bigger world feel to it uh in terms of development but it didn't overstay its welcome yeah and i think that's fair um when it comes to that part of it though i believe that that came from tom holland the director yeah because the original script by don mancini who was the writer involved much more simpler explanation of simpler well i guess simpler is not the, the best way to put it but it, it involved essentially chucky becoming alive be through andy's so the the good guy dolls are supposed to be able like you cut them and they bleed and you go yeah. buy these special good guy band-aids or something um which i could see that happening um like oh you cut your doll buy a band-aid uh but he ends up cutting his hand and doing like a blood pact with his good guy doll I don't even call them good guys then, but then the thing kind of absorbs his his anger and resentment as a kid and all this stuff, and it's it goes out after the targets. It's kind of like his his lashing out, right? Yeah. His like protector, but also the thing killing everything. 
Um, yeah. But I, I think that that didn't work for the director, so he brought in the whole voodoo aspect to mm-hmm. it. And I'll, I'll admit that, yeah, it, it works pretty well. I do like the idea of somebody's anger being the thing that brings something to life. Although, now that I think about it, that's the whole, if you're a comic book reader, that was the whole um, onslaught uh, storyline was... Uh, the anger of Xavier. Yeah, like, uh, manifesting into yeah. something else. But uh, Well, and that's something that's been visited in other movies, too, yeah. about like maybe someone on is not aware that their own emotions are causing... You know that kind of thing. So, it's not. It's not. It's not a bad idea. It's just that, like we were talking before the show, uh, both both outcomes are ridiculous. I just still prefer this one. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, like, <laughs> I don't mean to, to shed light on the one as and no, say no, it's a no. better idea. I, I just, just meant that like they're they're both interesting ideas and they're both far fetched. Like I don't know that. I don't know that one holds more water than the other one for me. Well, because then I don't think you make Andy a sympathetic character. Like, because even though you'd kind of understand where he's coming from, there's another thing. So like, there's a bit in in this film too, when he gets taken out of his mother's custody and thrown in kid jail or something, it's a really weird, like they're kind of, it's, it's, I don't know where exactly where they're at, but it looks like kid jail. Um, and he's in his room by himself and he's looking off out the window and he sees Chucky coming. Yeah. He, he pulled, he puts like a, a, a a chair up to the doors trying to get the doctor's attention. The doctor's not believing him. He breaks down crying and it's like to get it, again, a a reaction of a kid actor that genuine. I don't know if they're just like, by the way, kid, your actual mom died or something. I don't know what they did to get him to, to get to that place. But it's like, all of a sudden you're just like, I just want this kid to be okay. Like, cause like his mom didn't believe him. No one else believes him. He's in danger because of this thing. And everybody he knows is like, well, I mean, his mom's like uh, uh, the threat of not threat. She's threatened. Um, you know, her friend went out a window. Like it's just like Andy's world's kind of collapsing and he doesn't, no one believes him. And it's like him crying there is really effective. Cause I mean, you could have had bad child actor crying there and I've been like, yeah, you deserve it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think that that's, that's you know like i said a big part of the hook of the film is is alex vincent's acting and even in the second one like he's not that much older because i feel like the second one came out like a year or two after the first Mm -hmm. one it was a pretty quick turnaround um and then they aged him up for the third one and cast a different actor uh but he still returns to the (laughs) franchise uh the I, i think it's cult of chucky is the sixth film and the sort of like after credit scene is a package gets delivered to this house and you realize that it's Andy grown up like talking on the phone and he's like talking to his mom and you see like the package. I, th- I think the it starts to open on its own and uh, it's Chucky inside and then it just cuts to him standing there with like a shotgun at, at Chucky's head and he's like, hey, how you doing? And uh, But then it was basically a stinger for that movie and then the most recent film he's actually got a very large role in the hmm. film. So I, I actually really like the fact that we're seven films in and he's still involved in the series. Yeah, I might have to go back and... Because I've, I've seen the first three. Again, clearly I missed, I forgot parts of the first one. And I remember liking the second one. And the third one, I, I know I've seen. It's the Military Academy one, right? Yeah, yeah, what I like about the third one is is that the ending involves like an amusement park for no reason. So I, as, as you do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really like that part of it. Um, and, then, like, and then with, uh, what was it, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, and yeah. then... Uh, and then Cult, Cult and then Curse. curse. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I may be like reversing those. Cult. Yeah, it's Curse Chucky, then Cult of Chucky, I think. I yeah. don't know. 
um, you know, Caravan of Chucky. Uh, I know that they went more more humorous. And I feel like maybe that should have been up my alley at that time, but there was the one trailer that had Britney Spears in it, and I'm like, screw this, I'm done. I really don't want to watch this movie. Not because of her, it's just like, I feel like they just shoehorned it in as a joke, and I don't know if that's even in the movie. Um, was it Pride of Chucky? It might be. I don't no, remember. that's. I think that's Seed. Seed of Chucky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, I've not seen the. I've not seen the later films. Um, when it comes to what I guess, and I should mention mention this as well is is that you know we talked about a little bit about this before we started recording. Don Mancini's been with the franchise since the inception. Like that's you don't see that with very many franchises at all since. You know, the first t- Child's Play, he's been involved with every incarnation. Um, and directing, I believe he directed the last two as well. Um, so that's that's really um, not just dedication, but like that's, it's rare that you see that with any franchise, you know? I mean. Yeah, you're right. He directed the Sea of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Calls of Chucky. Yeah, so he directed the last three. Yeah. Um, and I would say that there's there is a big uh, tone shift from Seed and Curse, because it definitely goes back into a much more creepier slash um, stripped down version of the story. Whereas Bride through Seed kind of gets really really indulges its like humor side. So in terms of just writing, I just want to point out like he wrote a, a film called Cellar Dweller. Uh, before Child's Play, so did a screenplay for Child's Play, wrote a screen an episode of Tales from the Crypt, Child's Play two three, Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, and then um, a short called When Chucky Became Mary, which who knows what that means, um, and then another sh- a couple other shorts, and then uh, a horror movie, The Movie, another short that sounds stupid, Curse of Chucky, two episodes of Hannibal, Cult of Chucky, and then three episodes of Channel Zero. So like you're right, like. He's not straight far off the path. It's just been it's been pretty much Chucky, yeah, all the way out, you know. And I mean, good on him because I mean, I sometimes sometimes it's best to get somebody else in uh, if you're going to keep trying to make a series go on. Maybe sometimes new blood helps, you know. Like mm-hmm. look at all the different directions the Friday Thirteenth series goes. It just feels like there's a lot of weird. It gets a little weird towards the end, you know, in a good way. I like it. Yeah, but, but like, I mean, if you also look at it this way, like think about how they kind of didn't even include carp or i'm sorry not carpenter west craven on nightmare 2 where they were like okay we're gonna make a sequel yeah you know we're just gonna do with it what we want because we own it now like it's kind of rare that you get to see somebody stick with that a franchise like that um and you know there is a reboot coming that he's not involved in but there's also supposedly a tv show that he is involved in that is possibly coming so i'm not sure exactly how that's all going to work i just i mean i guess i got to see the last couple sequels to see how like what the relevance is of the chucky character like i'm not again i'm not saying it's not bad i'm just i just haven't seen it so i don't know uh how far can you take this concept you know, so I guess with cult, I mean, there has to be something going on, right? Like people, by this point, everybody has to know what the good guys are. They're yeah. not good guys. I will uh, say too that his daughter is in the last two films, uh, Brad Darvstar, uh, yeah. uh, and she's really quite good in both of them. Oh, so. good. Um, so yeah, I just uh, I, uh, one of the one of the bits of trivia I, I read about this was that the. Um, the my buddy doll line never recovered because of this movie. I don't know how true that is. Do you remember the my buddy? Oh yeah. yeah. And then the spinoff kid sister. Uh, but uh, 
but my buddy, I mean, you could clearly see the good guys were based off of that, oh, you know, yeah. and I can see how maybe parents are like, I'm good. Like, like <laughs> I don't, I don't need, I don't need to buy on my buddy, but it's just like, could you imagine like, I mean, this is, this is coming like, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a few years after, but like, what was the, one of the biggest crazes in the early eighties? Cocaine. Pet. Cocaine. Yes. Crack cocaine um, and Cash Patch Kids. You know, oh, like, yeah. Like, we were in the 80s. Like, this is the tail end, but this is, like, you've, we've, I'm sure we've had discussions uh, around this before, but the 80s were so, like, I mean, that's the that's the decade now people our age are remembering now fondly, but it, there was so much marketing and so much programming directed towards kids then, and there was the, that was the first big shopping crazes, right? So I can see how this is also kind of a comment on, like, consumerism a little bit in the sense that, like, you know, the kid's obsessed with this, and it's like, be careful, be careful for what you wish for type of thing because um, it's kind of poking fun at the whole good guys thing, and then it goes a dark a dark way. Um, but I could, I mean, I almost kind of wish that there would almost been a Cabbage Patch, like like a horror movie, not not the Garbage Pail Kids, but like you know, evil Cabbage Patch dolls. We you know? we could have, I guess we could have done uh, Child's Play and Garbage Pail Kids movie. <gasps> I don't think I ever, <laughs> I don't ever want to watch. I, I think I watched it as a kid once, and now seeing the trailer, I'm like, that like not that. <laughs> You ever just watch something where you're just like, you know, I'd probably just throw up watching that. Not because there's anything particularly, like, you know, offensive about it, but it's like they, they had to create, they had to make those those characters in real life, yeah. and they just look wrong. And I just can't, <laughs> I can't focus on the Garbage Pail Kids. It just, I just feel, I just feel queasy watching that trailer. You know, like, and I know this episode we keep going off topic, but I did buy. Uh, there was a new set of Garbage Pail Kids that just came out this year that was uh, just Garbage Pail Kids as horror icons. Yeah. So uh, I went on eBay, and it was like, full set of all the cards for 20 bucks is like sold. <laughs> so I bought my first set of Garbage Pail Kids from in probably 35 years, I, I'm going to guess. I bought them as a kid. I thought they were oh, fun. Oh, I carried them around. Like, like That was the thing, you know, outside of Mad Magazine yes. that I was carrying around at school. Yeah, that was, you trade them, you got your doubles, you get your sticker mm-hmm. cards. Yeah, I remember all that. Yeah, like I and that's, there's this certain point where I kind of age out of gross like that. Yeah. I still watch horror movies, right? But I'm just like, I just, I don't, I, can we just never watch Garage Pill Kids for this show? <laughs> like, you, know? you heard it, folks, next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, you know, Child's Play. It was it's a good, good re- thing we don't have the Netflix Wheel of Death. Well, funny or- you say that, because I feel like I feel like what we're going to talk about next could have belonged on there. Um, no, it was good to revisit this movie, and it's been it's and not that it was like a perfect capper to the the month of Halloween, but we did re- we 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 did revisit some franchises like sequels in. Yeah, this was the start of one. Like, and I, and I know last year I, I looked at some sequels as well, but it was always kind of good. And we even looked at the original Friday Thirteenth early on um, in the year of the knockoff when we talked about the burning. Um, we'll never speak of the burning again. Um, but it was good to kind of always go back to the the genesis and the origin of something. Um, and but I feel like a lot of a lot of why people love Chucky and why they love Child's Play is right there. And it, I mean, they've added to it. Yeah. But a lot of what what made it work was there, and it didn't. You didn't have to go too far to, f- to find more of that. So yeah, it was a good watch. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, um, I would say that when it comes to franchises, I don't know that it's the one that I instinctively go to, or yeah. it's not, you know, the one that pops off first off in my head, but it is sort of that old reliable where it's like, I could watch a child's play movie right now. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know that I've seen bride, recently a few years ago i picked up two and three on on dvd because it was like a 
you know, two disc thing or a, you know, it was like a, it came with both movies, I should say. So, uh, revisiting those, I, they were better than I'd given them credit for. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still not great compared to the original, but they were, they're still uh, a bit fun. And I, I really did like Curse and Cult. So, um, and I, I kind of wanted to support when Cult came out. Uh, Don Mancini because I was like I, I really do like the fact that he's still involved and um, it, it, I believe that one was just straight to video so mm -hmm. uh, I picked it up and you know it, it's I think Child's Play is going to be around for a long time uh, in one form or another I think that whether this reboot's successful or not we're still going to see more Chucky at some point. Yeah it's just I mean as long as Brad Brad, Brad game is Dura for it as long as Brad Duraf is game for it like you know I just I don't know who else you would want to step into that. I mean, granted, there's been other horror icons that have been approached by different actors and they've done different things with it. Like even we could even talk about um, uh, the kid who played uh, Bill Skarsgård who played Pennywise in the new It. Mm -hmm. As much as I you know am on the like fifty fifty about that film, he was a great choice for that that character. It's way different than Tim Curry's take on it. Uh, so I don't know who you'd get to step in to be Chucky. Or because I mean I feel like it wouldn't be Child's Play without Chucky. Like I don't know who you'd want. Like it'd be a different doll. Like like yeah. like you know like Billy. I don't like, <laughs> you know like I thought you were gonna say Steven. For I was a about second to say there. Stevie, and I'm like you're right. The, my, my go to default's always Steve. I don't know why for everything it's always Steve. So, um, but here's something I'm just gonna just throw this out here. You you don't know this, but I'm gonna blow your mind. Okay. You know why they are called spoilers? This isn't really gonna blow your mind, but. Uh, Chucky shows up in Ready Player One as long with as along with every other pop culture reference. Okay, they give Brad Dourif the one f bomb in that movie. Uh, either he uh, says it, or one of the people that are dealing with him says it around Chucky because they basically throw him as like a weapon towards something, and he just goes nuts with his knife inside like a mech, like because it's all digital, so you can yeah. get away with that kind of violence. But it's Chucky, and he's just going crazy for a second, and that's where the the one PG thirteen F bomb shows up is with Chucky in that film. Huh. It's actually that's it, actually not a bad joke in that movie. That's not great. So there you go. <laughs> so I mean, it's enough in people's mind space that it shows. I, I say that because like. Like the Ready Player One's the trash heap of all pop culture, but it, you know it, he shows up for a second, and, and then when we saw it in the theater, people reacted. It's very recognizable, and getting Brad Dourif's laugh, which I can't even recreate, is when he goes like you know goes nuts as Chucky, mm -hmm. is is very you know it's it's very iconic. Yeah, yeah. Does that make you want to watch Ready Player One? No, probably not. No, I'm sure I'll get around <laughs> to it at some point. I'm, I'm I'm saying please don't. That's fine. Like, just, you know. <laughs> But if you do, we'll talk about it. Uh, well, you can come over for therapy after. Um, so yeah, uh, do you have anything else about Child's Play? No, no. I mean, I I hope that uh, I did the the film justice because I, I do think that it's you know it is one of the modern you know classic franchises at this point. Um, you know, it he sits alongside you know Freddy, Jason, and Michael Myers. So you know, if you haven't watched it in a while, or you're thinking like, oh, it's 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 not my cup of tea. The first one's still a really effective movie. Yeah, I would say it it's almost up. a thriller more than a slasher in some spots. Like even like I remember like the first time watching it, like I like how smartly it is written, and I put that in quotes in the sense that like there are there are some like you got to kind of accept a little bit. Like the cops are just like, I don't know, maybe your kid pushed that girl out the window. That's fine. We'll we'll talk to you. Like she she goes and she's like, just leave my apartment right now. They're like, okay, man, we'll leave you alone. It's like. No, 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 no. There's more questioning that needs to happen there at that point in time if you believe that a small child pushed a woman out of the window. Yeah. Um, and, but for the most part, the movie doesn't have... 
like it is, it, it fills in all the, like the plot gaps that you would think about. And it sets up some interesting scenarios and you're right. It is more of like a thriller in the sense of like once, once the killer is revealed, like you realize how much of a hostage Andy is as well. Like there's a lot of, there's, there's, it's, it's smartly written for a horror film. And I, my, my, that's, that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I feel like sometimes when you get into these monster films, this is, I mean, whatever you want to call this, um, you can just hand wave away and be like, Oh, it's a horror film, but it does a pretty good job of keeping like, um, you know, the mother's like, like she, at first she's not believing, but then she immediately, like when she gets bit by the doll, she's a believer, you know, yeah. and is trying to tell the cop like what's going on. Like, like you, like I buy all the the reactions to what's up, you know, like, it tries so, to ground the film, which yeah. I think makes it work yeah. very well. So, know? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's aged pretty well. I mean, other, other than the one point where uh, Catherine Hicks goes to Hobo Town to try to find the guy that sold her the doll, she's like, "Oh, I know where he is." Like, you have no idea where this guy is, you know? Like, right. Like, and then, and she's walking around miming what he looks like, and she keeps like pointing to her <laughs> teeth because his teeth are like jet black. It's like, you know, I just I don't know about walking around like the shanty towns of Chicago in the late '80s is maybe not the best the best move, but whatever, you know, like it's fine. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it was a fun movie, and I liked it, and, and I think it's aged well. And, um, and this is even one of those movies that like, if someone says, I don't like horror movies, I, you know, I think there's enough here that would get your feet wet. You know, like, I'm not saying that like, this is like, it's, it's not, it's not kitty fair, but I mean, it's definitely has like some, some gruesome parts to it, but it has enough going on where it's not what you think an atypical horror film would be. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's start talking about, uh, about child's play. Uh, let's get on to our knockoff portion of the program. We're going to be now talking about 1991's uh, Dolly Dearest. This is the doll your daddy's going to make in Mexico. And this is the factory where we're going to make her and sew her little dresses. Isn't she beautiful? Can I have one, Daddy? From the moment they met. I'm going to love her so much. It was a fairy tale come true. Good night, Dolly. Sweet dreams, Dolly. But this is where the fairy tale ends and the nightmare begins. Dolly? sounds so exciting uh, i hope we watch that one um yeah so 1991's dolly dearest um so we were not struggling is probably not the right word but like we were trying to figure out what to do for october because we've been kind of like trying to find movies for this year in the knockoff not that there isn't plenty to choose from because there is but yeah. we want something horror movie related and that's why you picked you, know, you mentioned child's play in this because you we, we were also kicking around um there was an indian 
Was it in, no, not Indian? Yeah, it's Bollywood. Yeah, Bollywood. A, there was a, a Nightmare on Elm Street Bollywood thing that we don't know if we can even find like to watch, and that would have just been a little weird after just having Nightmare on Elm Street talk the week before. Yeah. Uh, so when you said, "Hey, check this out," I'm like, "That sounds perfect," and then my wife's like, "I own that." I'm like, "Perfect." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it wasn't like we went actively because I mean, we talked about the idea of the possessed doll and the possessed object, like toy or whatever, being something that's been you know done over and over and over again, but. Because of the success of Child's Play, you knew that there was going to be a slew of films that came out trying to to chase that. Uh, Dolly Dearest, 1980, 1991, 1981, uh, it came out. Um, it is uh, directed by Maria Lise. Uh, uh female director of horror films, so that that's good. You don't. It's not. It's it wasn't common then, and it's getting better now. But that. Yeah. So I, I like that. But um, so she, she ended up doing a lot of uh, TV stuff. But my favorite part I was going to bring in here was as a director, um, she directed four episodes of Silk Stockings. I just have to wow. <laughs> Silk yeah. Stockings. For those of you who don't remember Silk Stockings, <laughs> that was on the USA Network. And it was Up all night. softcore porn that didn't have any actual porn in it. <laughs> no, but it had like saxophones and everything. Saxophone and, and sexy nylons. Yeah. Um, this was the year after this movie came out. So I don't know if it was like, all right, I'm right back to TV. Um, well, it's weird because the movie like feels like a TV movie. It does, yeah. Um, and, and she did a lot of script supervising, so I, I, I guess that's. I mean, that is an important role, but a lot of TV work. But I so I just want to mention was it during a what was it Raw the the uh, WWE Raw? They just did a, a big anniversary. Like it was a 30, 30 years of Raw or something or twenty years of Raw. Someone held up a sign saying, coming up next, Silk Stockings. Like, so they <laughs> held that up uh, during that show just to remind everybody that's what would happen originally when Raw was on. Yeah, yeah Silk Stockings. But so, yeah, directed by uh, by her, uh, written, I, just, I, just, I don't know if this is even important, but written by, by Maria Lise. Uh, and then starring, uh, we have Denise Crosby uh, as Marilyn Wade, uh, Sam Bottoms as Elliot Wade, Rip Torn. As Carl Resnick, uh, Professor Extraordinaire, um, Chris Dimentral as Jimmy Wade, which he looked really familiar to me. Um, what, what else was he in? I looked at his IMDb and like he's in things that I've seen, but I'm like, no, that's not where I'm thinking. I no, know him from. I feel like I, I just he looks kind of like a really like they look like they they DH Kevin Bacon somehow like they just kind of <laughs> like you know. Um, but yeah, you're right. I don't really recognize him. Like I see things. You're right, but. Yep, guess that doesn't really ring a bell. Uh, and then uh, was it Candace Huston? Houston? Uh, she's the, the the daughter Jessica Wade. And then um, and Dinah then some, Manoff, no, <laughs> yeah, Dinah Manoff's in this as well. And then uh, some other people as well. So, uh, basic premise of this is that the the uh, uh, Elliot Wade is the best businessman in the world and decides to give up his uh, whatever they were doing in Los Angeles. But it seems like they were well off enough to buy into this real estate deal in Mexico to go buy a factory that made that supposedly that there was a lady there that was making like the most beautiful dolls in the world and that he was buying the factory in full because she had passed away and the secrets of her doll making. I mean, supposedly, cause they yes. kind of hinted at this. He would learn that. And then they start making these, these dolls that every girl would want. They would mass produce them. Yes. And so he, he brings his wife and his kids who are not really excited to come to Mexico and they find this factory that is not a factory. It's basically a barn with stuff inside it. It's not really that good of a factory. Like later on, you see some equipment, but at first, it's just like, it's like this dust covered like heap, you know, on the inside. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's supposed to be a wah, wah <laughs> yeah. joke that like he gets there and it's, and the, and you know. The, the guy selling him everything was like, oh, you're my first sale. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be like a humorous sort of like, oh, look at this shitty factory that this brilliant businessman bought. But yeah. uh, and he even he was like, but you told me that this was kept in like perfect condition. Like, oh yeah, yeah, no one's touched anything since she's died. <laughs> but then directly to the left of it is like an archaeological dig that yes. that, lo- that looks somewhat Mayan. <laughs> I don't understand, but it's like it's like it's like three feet to the left of this factory. Um, you know what's funny though, uh, and this has nothing really to do with the movie itself. But when you mentioned the Mayan thing, like the kid, like that was his first instinct was to go and read a bunch about like the Mayans. There is a thing in movies where like Jurassic Park, like there's, there's got to be the kid who like knows a lot about dinosaurs. Yeah, or <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, oh, this just happens to be the one thing that the kid's really interested in for no reason at all. <laughs> well, it's like even later in the film. Like not to, I guess to, we're not going to go point for point, but that he finds out that the 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 Mayan ruins are not really Mayan ruins, yeah. and he goes into the house in which they're staying in, and there's like a little tiny personal library in one of the offices. He pulls out this like book, Book of the Dead. It's or like something. yeah, it's like oh well, that's convenient. And he's just there reading all about this this uh, you know uh, possibly satanic like you know Central American cult. Yeah, and it's like oh well, I mean if you don't have the internet, I guess you just have a room full of books that are convenient to the plot around. Let's see the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so uh it becomes this thing where that you find at the very beginning that someone there's uh, obviously someone was like digging around this this these ruins or this excavation site and trying to open a door. Uh this stuff comes out of it that they open the door crushes the dude and then they this this these red streaks that are giggling. Like I don't know. So here's yeah. my question yeah. to you. Did you have trouble following the open opening sequence? Yeah, I did because I watched it twice, and I was like, at that point, I just I was like, I'm not going to watch <laughs> it again. So this 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 essence escapes from the tomb, and it's like these three red streaks, and they're giggling, and they go into the factory that you don't know yeah. is a factory, and that's that's the beginning of the movie. But it's just like. Um, I was like, it felt like it was like this like proto Kool Aid Man type of this like, hey, and it just, <laughs> just goes out and just goes Ooh, running. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and so then so you find out that the, like that that's the very beginning, and this stuff haunt is haunting this factory that is a you know bad. But you uh, don't find that out immediately. That's the thing that's annoying because I was like, I still didn't understand the beginning until we got about halfway through. Oh, I mean, so okay, that's why that's I was fair. like, okay, yeah. I'm like, I didn't realize that it came from the Mayan thing at first. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was. Was the, the the shop that we saw? I was yeah. like, "What the hell was the beginning about?" Yeah, and then plus also the way that the, the, this this essence is giggling and everything, and the way that the red streaks are going across the screen, I was like, "Oh, this movie's going to be a little bit more goofy." So I was hoping for a little bit more fun. Yeah, and it kind of got that vibe, and then it just immediately turns into this teledrama of this family moving to Mexico, and the only one excited about it is the dad and maybe the son. Uh, but you find out that the daughter, uh, she's been writing like all these letters home while they're on the plane. Yeah, she's written like her best friends like twice already. She doesn't want to leave L.A. And Denise Crosby's character, I don't know what she does. Like, like she's a mom. I, I think. Just, like, I don't, they I, don't really that, say, and that's plenty. But they don't like. I don't know how to describe it. It's like she is, you know, like being, you know, being one to take care of the household, which she doesn't because they have a maid. Yeah, I don't know what she does. I really don't understand. And it's like. They have enough money to buy this nice little villa or rent it, and they can buy this like factory. You know, I, I don't. I don't know what her character does other than fret all over everything. And I feel bad because I think Denise Crosby's a decent actress. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I feel like, so we, Denise Crosby, most people would know her as Tashi R. Most people, like people really pay attention to Star Trek, <laughs> the early, early days of Star Trek, Next Generation. She was, I mean, that's how I know yeah, her. So. She was Lieutenant Tashi R, famously killed off in the first season because she didn't want to be on the show because uh, of uh, creative differences or something. I don't know. What, I don't know that it was creative differences. I think it might have been just actually that, like. No one liked her? No. Oh. <laughs> I think I it was that it was just more than she had anticipated. I think she was overwhelmed. No. Because they're like, listen, we got Michael Dorn, and he's, and we need, we need uh, him to have a bigger role. Because you're supposed to be security officer. And I thought what it if, was the second. Does she? Is it the first season? I thought she made it through the second. I don't I, remember, okay. but I just know that, like, basically, her her role in the ship, like, uh, you know, Worf took it over, and then he yeah. became a much more prominent part of that. I mean, uh, Star Trek fans, please write in and let us know <laughs> where we're wrong. Because I, I, you know, I was always under the impression that she was just like, it was too much for her. Yeah. So maybe I just um. I, probably, but so she like the other thing that I know her from is uh, from Pet Cemetery, yeah, uh, which was two years prior to this film, and that's a pretty high profile film for what it is. I'm not saying it was like high art, but I mean it was a major major theatrical release in the theater, um, you know, like, and she was good in that too. So it's like I just wonder, I just wonder about her uh, trajectory after Star Trek. Like, I mean, she's still around doing things, and yeah, and she came back to Star Trek later, and so people, have, so she's still kind of in that whole like Trekkie aura of like, oh, she's part of it. Um, I just feel like she was like she was okay in this movie. I feel like they didn't give her much to do at times. And no, then, they don't yeah. give her anything yeah. really to do except be concerned. Be concerned, right? Um, and then, so anyway, so the uh, you first day at the job of the the factory, uh, the the dad um, Sam Bottoms, which I thought I knew him from a lot of things. Very, I just he was in the Outlaw Josie Wales just early on in the film. Okay, that's I just watched that like like less than a year ago or a little over a year ago. That's the only reason I remember that. But otherwise, I don't remember anything else about him. I just felt like he. Had a recognizable face, but I just couldn't place him anywhere else. You know, what's funny is, is I didn't even bother looking him up. Like I, <laughs> he was that forgettable. Yeah, like, like it just. Uh, I mean, he's fine. Yeah. But. Um. So he takes his daughter and son to the factory, and uh, the son goes wandering off to the you know, the ruins off to the left. <laughs> They're there uh, quickly. Um. But the daughter sees these dolls, these Dolly Dearest dolls, and and he like they were already finished. Because the, the evidently the factory was mid production when the old woman who made these dolls died. Yes, and and she wants one of them, and they give her the doll, and then that's one of the ones. I guess all of them are possessed. I don't know. That, that's not really yeah, always clear. Yeah, they don't either. really. Yeah, they don't um, really say specifically. So it becomes this thing where the doll is like talking to her, but this one takes a little different turn where it's more corrupting and possessing the girl as opposed to. The, you know, like in Child's Play where Andy's still Andy, but there's yeah. a demonic, like, you know, possessed doll. This is like, this thing's possessed, but it's also trying to turn her away from the family and everything else. Yeah, when we talked about it before we recorded, you'd mentioned that it gave you Omen vibes and I got Exorcist vibes. So it was like, it was trying to mix these different things together to get yeah. something that wasn't exactly Child's Play, but similar anyway. Well, when you set the whole thing in Mexico and you have all the Catholic, you know, imagery... And just, you know, everything there, like that felt like that was like, okay, if you're going to go with that vibe, that's fine. But then this girl's going to be pissed off everywhere she goes. Cause I feel like she was surrounded constantly by like nuns and, and rosaries and crosses everywhere she went. Yeah. So, but like the one time they're blessed in the house, she went nuts. But, uh, I, yeah. Which none, like they don't really do anything like after that. Like no. if, if. I don't know. I'd like to think that if I, when I was a kid, if like I lost my mind like that, like there would have been like some sort of 
intervention or action <laughs> taken to find out like what the hell just happened and what was wrong with me. Yeah, I. I but they're agree. like, eh. yeah, she'll adjust. It's been it's been less than a day here. <laughs> it's we're all we're all fine. She's frothing at the mouth, like uh, you know, it's. Yeah. Um, she's like two steps away from just spitting pea soup all over the place. Yeah. Uh, so then also Rip Torn's character, Carl Resnick, is a professor of archaeology somewhere in Mexico. And he's also playing Trent Reznor's father. Yes. I yeah. Know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, sure. Oh, you um, said Resnick. Resnick. I, I heard Reznor. Sorry. Well, I mean, that was the early family name and then, <laughs> then Trent changed it because Reznor sounds way cooler than Resnick. There's a joke that didn't work. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I well, my my joke I was going to say about Rip Torn. They should have called him uh, not Rip Torn, but Blow Up, because I feel like the last five minutes of the film it just becomes this whole thing, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But he's this professor going to go back to these ruins, which they were called. I'm going to mess this up. Uh, what was like he? They they weren't Mayan. Um, I feel like they were like st- it was something that sounded satanic, but like stenotic or... S- 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 yeah, something like that. San, San, I want to say Sansa, but that's the name of the girl from Game of yeah. Thrones. Uh, yeah, it, it, you think it'd be on the Wikipedia page here because people... Oh, yeah, uh, Sansia. Uh, that was, they find out that this whole thing is like th- this, this not Mayan thing. But so... I, I like the idea that Denise Crosby's character who was in Pet Cemetery, not the character, but the actress was in Pet Cemetery two years before. Someone's like, hey... We need you in a film in which there's a corrupt burial ground nearby and bad things happen. And she's like, well, I guess if I'm typecast, like, I just feel like <laughs> I feel like that was like, you know, guess this is better than Star Trek, you know. But um, and then also uh, the music was done by Mark Snow, uh, who did a lot of the X-Files, if I remember right. Man, this when you said this feels like a TV movie. Yeah. The music hurts. So it's such this weird early 90s synth for everything that doesn't quite fit. And it felt like the X-Files meets Are You Afraid of the Dark the entire time. Um, Although I, I I do have one question for you about yeah. Rip Torn's character. Did it sound like he started out with an accent yes, and then lost and it? Yes, and then he lost it. Yeah, I don't. And then he keeps kind of adding in like, you know, uh, Senora. And he keeps adding these yeah. bits and pieces in. And I'm just like, if you don't got it, don't do it. It's fine. Right. And it's like, I don't think any of us believe that you're native Mexi- you know, from native of Mexico. <laughs> I mean, he could, his character could be, but I, I, I doubt it. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so yeah. It's, so the, the whole thing, then this whole movie becomes this issue of this, this doll that's in this house that uh, is trying to corrupt this, the, the daughter and then also killing the maid, like ridiculously so. Yeah, I guess we um, kind of skipped over that part. Yeah, yeah the, the doll <laughs> kills the maid. Yeah, but because this ancient evil spirit understands that if you throw a light bulb in water, it's going to electrocute somebody. Yeah. I'm so glad that uh, ancient spirits of like 900 years ago understand modern technology. Eh, whatever. They um, keep up. They keep up. Um and so there also becomes this thing too of that as Rip towards characters like discovering more and more of what's going on in the tomb that he doesn't believe in you know the evil he just believes it's folklore of what's going on and it becomes this whole like it all comes to a head because the mom now is seeing what's going on with the daughter and the doll uh, the son sees a little bit too the dad doesn't believe anybody until like the last minute yeah and then uh, you know the archaeologist doesn't believe anything until. He literally opens, uh, you know, sarcophagus and sees uh, the devil child, the body of the devil child, which is something they hint at, and it doesn't really go anywhere yeah. with it. Which is supposed to be this goat-headed child, like it's supposed to be this thing, like they, they made the ultimate evil, whatever. And so this this essence that's break broke out of this, this this tomb is this ultimate evil. I was expecting because he kept talking about this goat-headed thing. I was expecting something to turn to a goat-headed thing, 
the entire film and nothing turned into a goat headed thing. You that's when you when you introduce Chekhov's goat head, it needs to it needs to actually fire off. And you have a goat head. A goat head is something. Yeah, I we were just propelling towards the end at that point, so I was just like <laughs> okay with it not appearing. Um and I don't mean to sound harsh on this movie because there were things that I liked about it. Um but it we ended. are What's that? It ended. <laughs> no, we uh, we did skip over some yeah. very important parts. Sorry, um, particularly the burrito. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's but, just this well, random it, thing where. Well, I mean, I kind of get it. I kind of don't. There's a point where uh, the dad has a coworker uh, that's working for him. That's like working the night shift at this like doll factory. I don't I understand. Uh, his name is uh, is Lewis, I think. Um, no, or is it? Yeah, I think it's Lewis. Um, and he, as he's leaving, as, as the, as Elliot's leaving, he hear the radio turn on no, before he leaves. He's like, Hey, you want a burrito? And he has like this like little propane cook thing in like a, like a, a pan, like a little cast iron skillet. Yeah. He's just making a burrito. And it's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I probably would have wanted a burrito like, yeah. but it's just like, well, I mean, you know, I mean, if you make, I guess if you're making your dinner, that's fine. But it just felt like a really odd moment, you know, like, <laughs> it did. Um, it wasn't like the scene called for a burrito. No, it did not call the scene did not call for a burrito. <laughs> the only payoff with all of that is that the little propane gas thing was still running. So when the sun ended up in there, he heard it and went over and turned it off. So yeah. there's actually one or two moments where the film actually makes decent decisions and they're usually at the hands of the of the sun. Yeah. Other than him running away for no reason all the time, but there's a couple times where like he ends up causing a like he steps, he he's getting into the factory through a window because the dog's chasing him. Which I don't understand the dog the entire time. That's just it was in a graveyard and just starts chasing him and doesn't leave him alone. He ends up sneaking into the factory, stepping on a sink through a window and breaks the sink, and the water starts coming out. And he's like, "Oh, I'll go." And you see him tracing the water line all the way back and turning the water off. That's smart thinking. If it was me at that age, I would have freaked out and run out of the factory and been <laughs> like, "I didn't do that. That was not me." You can't prove it, you know? Like, so there's a couple bits here and there where the kid actually shows his intelligence. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know why they needed to do that in the film, but I kind of, I was okay with it, you know? So my next question is, is do you think there was any animatronics going on or do you think it was a little person in a costume the whole time as the doll? Yes. I think it was both. Um, I think oh, you, you do I, think I, there I think was, was some animatronics? Yeah, okay. some because I mean, or puppeteering, I should say. There, because there was some of the facial stuff that was going on. I don't think you could just do with a mask. I think I don't think it was just. I think there was some uh, animatronic okay. stuff going on. I do think it was either a small child or a small person that they had running. But like, how did you feel about the legs moving back and forth real fast? Like, I don't know what something about that stride <laughs> of the doll was really funny. Uh, the first time, I will admit, because I was kind of half paying attention because I was trying to take notes. Whenever the the um, uh, the one lady was in the basement, uh, the caretaker, the maid, yeah. Whenever the doll popped up behind through the slats of the stairwell, the first yeah. time I jumped. I will because I, I I knew it was coming from somewhere, yeah. but I think it was just the face it was making at the time. I'm like, oh, that's super ugly. Like it was <laughs> this doll. The, like whenever they got activated, like they were somewhat creepy to begin with, like just very passive looking faces. But when they became like possessed. Like it wasn't like scary. They were just ugly. Like yeah. it was hard to look at. And I guess that they did get progressively uglier towards the end. But yeah, I mean the bit whenever uh, Denise Crosby's walking into the bedroom with like uh, the shot. No, it was before she got the shotgun and sees the doll in the chair looking up at her and talking. 
that was creepy. The voice they had for the doll the entire time was stupid. Like that, you, I just didn't, it just was weird. It didn't really match anything. Yeah. Um, especially after just watching Child's Play with Brad Dourif give an amazing performance, and this thing's always like, time to play. And it's like, oh, I just, did you, you know, what just could, did you just pick somebody to make the voice? Like, could you maybe, you know, Frank Welker does everything in the world. You probably could have given him $15 and he could have given you a half hour worth of dialogue that you could have slapped in there and you'd have been fine, you know? Um, you, you have Rip Torn. I don't even, he doesn't really do voices, but have him make a voice. He's an actor, he can do it. Um, but whatever. Anyway, the voices were weird. Oh, I don't know. He couldn't pull off an accent. He couldn't pull off an accent. He's like, Time to play, Senora. Like you know, like, you know whatever. Um, that's fair. Uh, also, how'd you feel about there was a point where when the little girl was getting possessed, that the mom walks in. There's also this kind of dollhouse, like like not dollhouse, but like a little tinier house, like a playhouse behind the, yeah. the main place. And she goes to go in there, and she's like, "What did you do to your hair?" She's like, "Oh, we cut it." And it's like this perfect, perfect haircut. Like, perfect bangs and everything for this girl. I'm like, who the hell cut your hair? Like, it was a really good, like, little haircut. It's like, that's not the doll, and that's not you doing it. So who, like, it, like I understand that's the conceit of the film, that she's starting to become more like the doll or look like the doll. Yeah. But if you tell your mom, I cut my hair, that is not the end result I was expecting. <laughs> you know? Like that was that was funny. It's like wow, that was a, that was a really good haircut. For, well, I think the doll did cut her hair because you know if it can know what an electricity or a uh, you know electrical you, wire is going to do. Yeah, to why not? Water. You know how to do clippers and bangs and all that. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, I just I mean, this so the movie. Like so, okay. But I, I just mentioned my favorite part of the movie is not even something that was supposed to be on purpose. Is there's a bit where Denise Crosby grabs the shotgun, and she's going into a room. And she's going to open a door, so she sets the shotgun down on a keyboard. <laughs> did, you, did you notice that? Yeah. There's there's already this keyboard synth playing through the score of the film, and you hear the, and then she just you hear meow, like it just like she drops the, the gun, and it's like and it, but then it, but it keeps going because it's a keyboard, so you hear meow, as, as this gun's sitting on this keyboard. I'm like, why is the keyboard on? And it's like and it's in the middle of a keyboard synth track already, and it just felt weird. I I laughed. It's like it was so. I don't know if it was on purpose, but it was amazing. <laughs> I feel like you would have like taken it out, like fully, or you know, <laughs> something, something. Yeah. If if it wasn't intentional, there so. there was so much like uh, sound on location. You could tell yeah. by the echoing of everything, and it's because like, the 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 large ceilings of the house and and wherever. Um, yeah, I just this movie. It's it's not the worst thing I've seen, clearly, but it kind of commits the sin of of being kind of boring. You know, like, and that's yeah. I will say that, like, the burrito guy when he gets killed, that kill's kind of interesting. Why was this? I mean, it was supposed to imply that he had a heart attack, but his chest was moving all weird. Right. You know? It's like it was like squib work, not squib work, but you know, like bladder work. And it was like, is there a doll coming out of him? I'm like, that would be interesting. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I feel like does he stab somebody in, or does somebody get stabbed in the? In the back of the like knee or yeah 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 no yeah the dad does okay um, yeah but yeah uh, but the the burrito guy he ends up like jamming his hand and he hits his hand jam oh that's what I'm thinking of yeah sewing machine the sewing machine that was pretty rough it was interesting Um, yeah that was that was not bad Um, but I feel like you had it like the premise is okay Um, but it's like if you have this whole like factory full of possessed dolls then they need to be doing more and also if these are being shipped. And, and production's ramping up. How much fun would it have been to see maybe, you know, a couple of these dolls, like, you know, 
at another location, just kind of wreaking havoc and people not knowing like, Oh, I just bought a demon possessed doll. Like they'd be calling the company and be like, Hey, can I speak to your president? Yeah. Uh, my dot, my, my, my doll is trying to stab me right now. Do you guys take refunds? You know, something. Right. Like- and since we don't know exactly when the whole, you know, event transpired where the devil goat thing <laughs> possessed the dolls. And since it possessed multiples of them, why did the doll just stay in the warehouse and yeah, wait? I just, or I the know. dolls, I should say. The, like, one, that's the, the one thing. left we're never... because it got taken, but the rest of them stayed in the warehouse. You're right. That's yeah, right. we're not kind of clear on like, because I was like, is it tr- transferring to other dolls or is it that it's just occupying multiple dolls? Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because we do see multiple dolls in working together in, in one yeah. scene, correct? Yeah, and then at the end, um, the, so I also like how the solution for this isn't going to go in and destroy the dolls. The solution is to go in and blow up the, the factory. And somehow Rip Torn has, like, I mean, I understand he's an archaeologist and is, like, opening up some, like, you know, passageways or whatever. I don't think an archaeologist should have that much dynamite on them at any given point. <laughs> And it's like they, to and be the, fair, Indiana Jones was an archaeologist, and we never questioned anything he's got on him. That's fair, um, <laughs> but uh, there's just a bit though where like the dad and uh, Rip Torn look at each other, and they're like, you know, we'll do the perimeter, the meet up in the middle, and it's like that's yeah. a plan. And it looked like Rip Torn had like a cigar in his mouth, you know, like you know, like he's he's man of action, <laughs> you know, and they're gonna go in there, and it was like all right, and then the dad's you know the dad doesn't be like, hey, by the way, honey. You know all that money I invested? I'm about to blow the shit out of this factory and our hopes and dreams as well. Do I we mean, have, do yeah. we have the insurance money? Yeah, yeah. We're, I mean, we are going to save our daughter, but we're not getting back to America because we have money to cross the border now. Good luck, you know. Um, I'm just going to sell our son to this archaeologist. It'll be fine. Okay, that was something else, too. Do you remember whenever Rip Torn first met um, Denise Crosby's character, and he says, oh, I actually wrote the quote down. It, it, uh, he said, uh, I see your beauty in your son's face. <laughs> Like, what the hell does that mean? He uh, was very like, yeah. you know, willing to, you know, I don't know. It was indulge weird. the boys' uh, <laughs> curiosities is the best way that I could put it. Yeah, it was it, whatever. Because the, um, the little boy spends like I don't know an entire scene trying to get him to like let him be his assistant. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I like at one point he ends up just twisting the kid's ear. It's like you just met him. Yeah. I don't think you're allowed to abuse children yet. Like you gotta you gotta at least be like over for one dinner. You gotta or work something. up to that. Yeah, you know, so anyway. So they go to blow up this factory and they're putting out all the dynamite and everything, and it's like, okay, that's fine. But then it was this whole sequence, it was almost like it was like a Keystone Cops thing of them putting dynamite down and then all the possessed dolls are going along and taking the fuses out or throwing yeah. water on things. And I honestly thought it was like they're gonna run out of there and just wait. And then nothing was going to happen. <laughs> and, and I kind of was hoping that would be the case. He'd be like, oh, shit, this is not going to work. Right. But then there was this whole like Roadrunner moment of one of the dolls picking up one stick of dynamite going, uh-oh, because like the fuse was too short. Yeah. And then the whole place blows up. But it was like the explosion did not match like the dynamite that, I mean, I guess dynamite will blow up like once it's exposed to other, I don't know how dynamite works, but it just feel like that one stick set everything off, yeah. you know? And then of course there was the, the great action shot of two, two guys that were not uh, Mr. Bottoms and Mr. Torn being thrown upside down and rolling down a hill. Cause I don't think Rip Torn did that stunt. No, <laughs> like, I don't think so either. I also like it to how the dad's like, okay guys go down the hill. I thought he meant like all the way down the hill <laughs> and they're like three feet to the right. <laughs> And then the son's like, I got to go blow up the dig site. It's like, no, you don't. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what mom lets the son run to go like, yeah, I don't know. So uh, 
like, I say this stuff and it's like, oh, this was all fun. But it's like, there was like these moments of like, okay, but the, but the, the bulk of it felt like a TV movie uh, that just was going nowhere and was kind of pedantic. Uh, and then there's also these like, like these jump scares that were jump scares. There was a cat living in the factory that you find out that just wanders around and gets in people's way. That wasn't introduced till later. There's that random dog in the, in the graveyard that's chasing the boy. Yeah. Um, there's just all these things. Right. And it's like, it's very, it, I feel like they were there just to kind of like, we need another 10 minutes in this film somewhere. It just doesn't go anywhere terribly interesting. And that's unfortunate because you have the potential possession storyline that could have gotten weirder. Like, what if like they even showed the girl dressing similar to the doll, but not quite like the doll. How great would that have been? If she actually been wearing like, you know, the full on dress of the doll, because at one point the doll's taunting the mother saying, uh, you know, she's inside me now. You can't get her. Yeah. And I thought, Oh crap, that doll put its plastic skin over top of this little girl. I really thought like it kind of cocooned around her or something. Right. But then you see the girl just sitting behind or standing behind her. I'm like, no, that's not how that works. Cause it's like, you're at the, you can't get her. She's behind me. Yeah. I was like, Oh, she's got to fight this doll to get her daughter out of her. You know? And I'm like, and nope, (laughs) like just didn't didn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest things. So yes, admittedly, like, you spent a lot of time trying to rewrite the movie in your head, but also yeah. the movie never really clearly sets up what the rules are. Like no. That's one of the things that Child's Play does very well is, is it explains, particularly in the scene where he goes to meet the the um, voodoo priest, mm-hmm. you know, who trained him or showed him how to cheat death. You know, they kind of lay it all out for you, um, how he got in there, what happened, and how he can get out of that body and why he's turning you know why he's bleeding why he's able to you know um he's becoming human within this toy form they set all that logic up um and there isn't a scene in this movie really that does any of that they don't set rules up no so i guess i guess in a a sense yes they can't break their own rules because they never set them up well because the whole thing is that you find out about this tribe of people that they were focused on trying to raise this like like child of the devil and then when the thing shows up shit went wrong and almost killed all of them surprise and it's like you're expecting this whole like and and they would like they would summon this thing by using totems or like you know like uh fixtures or something it's like something to under to explain why it would use inanimate objects to cause havoc you know and it just never did that not that not that it would made the movie any better but I would have felt better, like like something something was going on, you know. Yeah. And it's like it just they never did. So I, I you know this 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 one's a little weird to me, other than the fact that it's it's kind of boring. Is that this is a movie that we watched that like exists in 1991. Um, this is the newest of the knockoff films we've watched, comparative to you know the other ones we've seen. This was made honestly made for direct to video. This was made to be found on your shelf at Blockbuster to be like, oh well. Um, I watched Child's Play. Maybe I'll check this out. It was literally, that was why this was existing. Um, I was reading the trivia. I got like a small release in the Midwest. I don't know if that means somewhat like a drive-in theater with no one there. Or, uh, you know, like like someone's like wheeling out a VHS player, uh, like, uh, like a back alley. Like, hey, you want to watch a movie? Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But um, e- even the Amazon Prime version of this feels like a VHS rip. Like yeah. the quality's really low on it. Not that I need like a rest- restored, like, you know, version of this. 4K you know? version yeah, of Dolly Dears. Denise Crosby's like, listen, I need, I need this, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we need that updated soundtrack where a shotgun gets thrown on top of a keyboard. Um, so 
you know, the other movies we've seen were obviously they were all made chasing something bigger and they were, and I don't, even though I feel like maybe like, um, like the Bronx warriors, maybe that was aimed towards more like since it was the earlier eighties, maybe the, the advent of VHS knew that that was going to find some life. But I also feel like this stuff was made to be in a theater to be churned and burned to just kind of catch the zeitgeist of what was going on at the time. This, this definitely feels like it was designed for you to be like, it's Friday night. What are we going to watch? And this is that very uh, low hanging fruit of like, you could put this on for like, you know, uh, you have kids over like middle school kids are having a sleepover. They're going to watch a scary movie. This feels like this would be it, you know, yeah. type of thing. Even though Denise Crosby does drop one F-bomb <laughs> the movie that didn't, this movie didn't need swearing, but it got it. I don't know what yeah. happened. I mean, to be fair though, I was on the fence about whether it was a TV movie until that moment. So yeah. So I mean, I mean, you could have easily seen it. this. Probably is probably playing on sci-fi right now, honestly. Yeah. Um, so knowing that it, that's what its target was, the bar was never set high, and you could definitely see that. It's just that the thing that kills me about it is that, like Denise Crosby, maybe not the biggest, most bankable actor, but was known enough, and Rip Torn is known enough. You know, like he's done some good things. Like regardless, you know, like maybe later after this, but I I love Rip Torn when I see him. Um, it's just. I feel like at least at least it's not like the bottom of the barrel shit like the asylum puts out. At least you could tell like there was some care put into this. Uh, but it just feels like it knew that it was never going to reach it. If you're never going to aim that high, then you, then the ultimate product's never going to be that great anyway, you mm-hmm. know? And that's, that's a bummer because you could have had some real fun with this. And then because of that, I think maybe this could have been one of those like word of mouth, like, it could have built like something. I mean, and maybe there's other movies with possessed toys that I'm not thinking of right now that have that type of following. Well, I mean, Puppet Master. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, Puppet Master's got a pretty big following. I, I never even asked you. I kept meaning to ask you this like a few months ago because you saw that new one in the theater. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't see it in the theater. I oh. I uh, bought it on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. How was it? Uh, I really liked it. Okay. Um. They have uh, the script is written by I want to uh, say it's Craig Zoller. It is. If that's if I'm saying his name Craig correctly. Zoller. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it shows that like he was a, a fan of the series, but also um, there's a lot of over the top crazy kills that happen in it that just they feel very like written with passion i guess for <laughs> that kind of thing it wasn't um, just some poor maid flopping around in water with a with a broken <laughs> light bulb dropped on her right okay um but also you had thomas lennon who most people know him from reno 911 dangle yeah tom lennon he's the, made his money you could tell he's made bank because he also him and um oh the other guy plays junior on that show i forget his actual name on Rio 911 they both co-wrote the three night at the museum um films yeah they've made their money so tom lennon when he shows up with this stuff it's because he wants to not because he has to yeah and he's really good in it um there's some really funny moments in the movie there's some really great poignant movie uh points in the movie it's far better than we've gotten from many many well i mean there's like 11 puppet master movies so I, I would I would almost hesitate to say that it's probably even better than the original, hmm. um, but you know I really enjoyed that film. And I would say that if you're a fan of Puppet Master and like I haven't seen all of them, I think I've seen maybe three, so you know I can't speak to the breadth of you know the entire franchise. Um, although I have a DVD set of them that's like hmm. all of them, I got it for like five dollars. I think at the exchange. 
Um, Puppet Master versus Doll Man. Puppet Master versus you know, I, yeah, I think those are, yeah. And it, well, like the Doll Man one's real. I know that, but I just want to keep making up all the other, other titles. <laughs> Evil Bong versus <laughs> Evil uh, Bong versus Puppet Master. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Evil Bong. God damn it. <laughs> I would oh. say that uh, you know if you are looking to have a fun time because it is a very fun movie as well, uh, and Thomas Lennon's very good in it. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is in it. There's other names, actors in it, and I'm blanking right now. But uh, definitely check it out, and I'm, I'm hoping that they return to do more. Okay. So, so um, yeah, we we, talk, we joked about this before we start talking about this film, that uh, Steve is familiar. Like We used to do something here on the show called The Wheel of Death, the Netflix Wheel of Death. It's been retired kind of for right now because since we've been watching these knockoff movies once a, once a month, that it, it kind of feels like that's kind of like that yeah this feels like this would have been a movie that you would have just found randomly and been like here put this on the wheel and i'd have been crossed my fingers that we would not I watch do take it. pride in being the one who suggested some of the worst suggestions oh, ever jesus like uh, <laughs> uh a hellraiser uh was it revelations yeah. uh was it revelations or yeah it was revelations that one's terrible yeah you ruined me with that one and then um um the the boneyard well no that was that was that was kevin that suggested yeah the boneyard. yeah but you found some great winners for for us to watch your you've christian mingle christian mingle yes <laughs> oh. would i would i watch this film again for you know i think i'd watch christian mingle again before i'd watch this because at least then i could just be openly hostile to this, that film while this one i'm just like i'd probably fall asleep yeah. so yeah the biggest sin of dolly dears is that it doesn't do anything like and it's unfortunate because it's like it could have been a fun little movie and it has these sparks of something in there it doesn't do anything with it though so it yeah. feels like a movie that maybe i would have seen when i was a kid and been like and have maybe memories of it of being like oh yeah it wasn't bad and then watching as an adult and going oh man it's not good at all like <laughs> and i don't mean to be hard on the movie because well, because if you're if you were a little kid watching this, the the dolls would be creepy yeah. enough. Yeah, you know that would get you. And I I don't know, you know we're gonna do our our you know scale, um, the Ator scale coming up here. Well, I was gonna say if you want to, I don't know if you want to get to that. Yeah, I mean, do you want to anything else that you have here that you wanted to mention about the the masterpiece of this Dolly Dears? No, no, okay, unfortunately not. All right, so our our questions that we go through here uh, on for the year of the knockoff is on a scale of one to ten. Oh, sorry, no, we'll talk about the ATOR scale in a second. On a scale of 1 to 10, how close did it adhere to the film it wanted to knock off? So let's think about it. Supernatural stylings that caused dolls to come to life. Yes. There's there. Uh, a mother concerned about her her, her kid. There's yes. that. Um, burritos. Burritos, no. Uh, let's see here. It, try, there, was some, there was a couple other things in there, too. No one fell out a window in this movie, I don't think. Uh, no, there's no window no. falling out. Uh, <laughs> um, there was a building blowing up at the end, and there was the 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 you know the house in Chicago blowing up. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I feel like it's probably like a five or a six, like it. A five, a five at best. I feel like because you know it has the similar trappings of the possessed doll. Yeah. Um, and then some of the like you know the like there was a, there was one bit in this film though. Where Denise Crosby walked into a room and there was a mirror reflecting the doll staring at her, and then she heard something and like like the camera moved to the left with her. She comes back and the doll's gone. Like it's a very simple shot, but it is creepy. Yeah. So there there was moments that they were trying to capture the spirit of like you know you not always knowing where this thing was. And like I said, that that first reveal of its ugly ugly screaming face underneath that stairwell <laughs> did get me. So I would give it a five. I anything beyond that. 
it's it's pushing it because I feel like um, it really it tried doing some of the humor and didn't land. Yeah. Even with the kid in the trailer saying, you know, I forget whatever he said, but that was almost that was almost uh, aping what Andy said about playtime being over. Yeah. Except he swore and that, but whatever. So I I would give it a five. I don't you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's fine. I <laughs> I'm not gonna like fight you on it for a six. Uh, so on on the Ator scale, was it better or worse than Ator? Um, I feel like we're going to have to watch Ator again at the end of the year just to see how we feel about yeah, it. After, I mean, you know. I, I feel like it is competently made. It's not like you know, uh, it's not like you know. Oh, suddenly it went from night to day, or you know, there were large gaps in the you know cinematography or things like that. Like the, the, it's. I, ugh, I don't know. I'm having a real tough, tough time with no, this. But I mean, like Ator, clearly, you know, it's lower budget, um, like fast turnaround, around, a more ridiculous film. Yeah, I think there's more there. It's it's more rewatchable and more enjoyable, and it has a baby bear cub. That, that's one thing we keep forgetting about. <laughs> um, you know, this movie didn't uh, Valley did not have a bear cub in it. So yeah, I mean, I guess competently made isn't exactly what you want to throw on a poster. So yeah. like Dolly Dearest. Competently made. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it has a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, I... I it's yes. a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer, you know, Ator. Yeah. I mean, so I would say that... Um, I think this is worse than Ator in the sense that it's like it doesn't do anything. Like, But it's certainly watchable. It, if, like, I can see this would be something that... Um, and this will come to our last question here. Would you recommend this film to anybody else? Not as a standalone watch, not as in like, oh, you like you like possession toy movies? Check this out. No, if it was at a party and ever it was like later in the evening and you didn't want to focus on anything, there's enough there to be like, what is going on with this movie? And kind of joke along with it a little bit, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I I don't even know if it's parodable though. Like parodable is that a word? Um, if because like a tour, you can throw on at a party and everybody's gonna watch. Yeah, like this feels like you're gonna watch it for about ten minutes and then people are gonna get bored. <laughs> this is the this is the movie you put on. We want people to leave. Yeah, like like next party your place, next Halloween party. Like everybody having a good time. Okay, we're gonna put some Dolly Dears there. Everyone's like, oh, look at the time. I gotta, <laughs> gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go. All right. So all right, uh, that's gonna do it for this installment of Year of the Knockoff. Um, fun conversation as always. I. We'll just, we'll go through the, the our business here, and then we'll talk about what's coming up next. So, uh, you guys could find us on Facebook at Invasion of the Podcast. We have a website, invasionthepodcast.com. A new blog post will be coming up soon. Uh, I did watch a film that is trying to chase the success of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. It's a film called Bad Dreams. Um, I'm not going to say anything else about it. You'll you'll see my write up. I showed Steve some scenes from the movie. I have some conflicting feelings about it. That will come soon. Maybe probably not before Halloween, but yeah. You know, yeah. I try. I try. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, been a packed month. Yeah, it's been, it's been crazy. Um, you know, and then Dolly Dears was just the icing on the cake. Uh, so yeah, you can find us there. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, Google uh, Music, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Rate and review us; would be greatly appreciated. And Steve, where can people find you? Well, I was going to say it's not the icing on the cake. It's more like it's the gum on your shoe. It's the gum um, on your shoe. So it's more yeah, like the you burrito can, on the ground. Yes, <laughs> you can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher uh, Also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under that. And just just literally two days ago, I have been added to another convention uh, happening in Hudson, Ohio. I believe November eighteenth and nineteenth, hmm. a dark 
Christmas. Uh, it's going to be a... It's just all about kids that their parents don't come home. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a convention, a horror convention. Uh, Amanda Wist from the original Nightmare on Elm Street is going to be there. Um... Oh, I should have the the, the sheet up, but uh, there's going to be uh, a few folks from Nightmare on Elm Street there, uh, I believe, uh, some Walking Dead folks, and a couple others. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, um, check it out. Uh, Hudson, Ohio, Dark Christmas, November, I think it's the uh, uh, 19th, or I'm sorry, the 18th and 19th, if I'm doing my math correctly in my head. <laughs> Uh, no, it's the 17th and 18th, now that I think about it. I should have pulled it up before we started no, talking. Well, I literally just found out about the show Sunday um, at the uh, Halloween Flea, so got registered uh, and wasn't planning on adding another convention on so quickly, but since it's so close and uh, it looked like it had a pretty decent guest list, I was excited to come, so... Yeah, and I went All to go right, try to find it, and I, I keep getting uh, listings for Black Christmas, which is something different. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll, I'll, our next show, I'll, I'll have a more thorough rundown, so I guess we'll just count this as a tease right now, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's cool. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, well, is this it? Maybe I found it. Black Christmas Expo, is that it? No. No. No, that's not it. That's, that's something else completely different. Are you sure about that? Wait a second. Yeah, we're going to find out. We're real time fact checking this, and you're 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 going to be like Paul. That's not right at all. Be like, yep. Um, yeah, that's in Tennessee. That's not it at all. Anyway, so yeah, we'll, we'll get your details up on the Facebook page. Uh, so next week, um, no show. Uh, just because October's been a hell of a month. We've had a lot of fun talking about our scary movies and everything else, but you know, we we need a break. Get, yeah. Let's get past some of the. We're gonna go uh, go trick or treating. We're gonna go eat a bunch of candy, pass out for a bit, um, and then yeah, it's gonna be a well earned break. But Steve, thank you for picking all these movies. Uh, not Dolly Dearest. I know you picked it, but it was because of because <laughs> we picking... you didn't you didn't seek this one out like you did the other ones that we went over. Uh, it was a lot of fun in the month of October talking about all those cool movies. And I hope you guys enjoyed the conversations. Hope you guys watched some of those movies. Like uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully. Uh, particularly with, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Child's Play. These are well-trodden areas. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversations. And if nothing else, you at least revisited those films. Yeah, so. and, and hopefully it inspires you to watch Night of the Comet and From Beyond. Yeah. Like that's the, the um, those are your takeaways. So anyway, yeah, uh, the next show, we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. Um, you know, actually, we'll, like, so we're taking a week off. Week after that, we've kind of kicked around the idea. We're going to be looking at um, the 1980s. Um, it's I don't know if it was a standalone story or it was a, a graphic novel on its own at the time. I believe it was a graphic novel. Yeah, uh, the Chris Claremont written uh, X Men story. God loves man kills. Um, so check that out. It's only four dollars to to buy to read on Comicsology. It's a really important X Men story. And so I figured it'd be nice to kind of get back into some comics and get away from movies for a second. So that's yeah. what we're going to do in two weeks. But in the meantime, have a great Halloween. May you get all king-sized bars, not fun-sized bars. Yeah. And and no toothbrushes and no little Bible tracks. And definitely no pennies or circus peanuts. Yeah, or no circus penis. Pe- penis. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> no one's giving you circus penis. If they are, leave right away. That's it. We're done. I can't, I, can't even, I can't even do it. We're out. In a town in the woods at the top of a hill, there's a house where no one lives.
So you take a big bag of your big city money there and buy it. But at night when the house is dark and you're all alone, there's a noise upstairs. At the top of the stairs, there's a door, and you take a deep breath and try it. And the flashlight shows you something moving just inside the door. There's a tattered dress and a feeling you have felt somewhere before. And there's a creepy doll that always follows you. You decide that you've had enough 